Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Quest for Wisdom podcast, where we search for nuggets of wisdom from the lives of some truly amazing people. Today's guest is Sophia Sajetsa. She is a forensic psychologist by training, a spoken word poet by choice, and an olive farmer for fun. She has always been fascinated in understanding the human mind and specialized on the topic of aggression prevention during her studies and prior work. She left her job in academic teaching to delve deeper into her passion for creative writing and performing, as well as community living. Now her work is especially informed by humanistic and holistic psychology, as well as mindfulness and compassion practices. As she identifies as pansexual and polyamorous, much of her work also relates to aspects of queerness, sexuality and love. Sophia was born and raised in Germany, but has lived abroad in the Netherlands, UK, Italy, Australia, and now currently resides in Catalonia, Spain. You can follow Sophia on Instagram at so4.poetry. I hope you enjoy our conversation today. Welcome, welcome, Sophia, to the sixth episode of the Quest for Wisdom podcast. (laughs) Yay! How does that make you feel? I'm really excited. I'm happy we had a short chat also. On, um, yeah, maybe you were a little bit confused um, beforehand about exactly what was going on. But unfortunately, we had some good discussion out off camera. So maybe we'll have to repeat that discussion. But this is the episode of Peas. And that is because you are a human, also known as a person. You are a poet. You are a psychologist. You are a pansexual and you are a polyamorist. So it's the episode of Peas. Um, I love that. (laughs) Which is pretty exciting. Um, So other than human, which one would you consider yourself to be top of your um, ranking of of your hierarchy of of things? Oh, wow. Um, Maslow's hierarchy. I'm really, I'm actually really trying to not have hierarchies anymore in my life sorry that tri- <laughs> is this triggering <laughs> no 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 it's absolutely fine no it's fine but yeah no i'm actually realizing that i'm trying to not <clears throat> um yeah see a hierarchy of those labels i'm happy about all those labels mm-hmm. i'm really happy that they exist many of them have also helped me to uh yeah deal with my identity and yeah it's great that we have these these words and labels but equally so i think um, it's sometimes tricky to always have these categories and labels. What's your so, sorry, yeah. just for, just to cut in before we start, what's yeah. your opinion of labels in general? Okay. Labels in general. Well, I am a fan of words, obviously. Mm-hmm. We both are. We know each other through the poetry community. Um and words are extremely powerful and they help us to communicate with each other and to communicate clearly and nonviolently, which is amazing. Um but equally so I think there's a lot of communication that happens non-verbally mm-hmm. as we know um and we can also get stuck on categories and labels i think and how to exactly phrase something and how to exactly name it and our, just our minds are built like that we always need to put everything in boxes right and in a way we can't really change that that's just our minds doing their job uh, what they're there for <laughs> uh but equally so i think we um yeah we can also train ourselves to every now and then look at these categories you know and also um yeah break them open a little bit more um, and that's what I'm trying to do because I, for instance, been really stuck on being a psychologist. So mm-hmm. if you would ask me maybe a couple of years ago, I would have said, yes, I'm a psychologist first. That's what I've studied for for a long time, you know, mm-hmm. but equally so now I found art and poetry. So maybe today I'm a poet, you know, 
Um, mm. And then when I meet my partner, maybe, um, yeah, maybe I'm a lover or I'm a partner or yeah, I really feel very polyamorous today or something like that. But, mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, not to just get stuck only on those and realizing also that that can change, you know, I'm not always a psychologist, I'm not always a poet. Maybe I'll do one more poem and then that's it. You know, I'll never touch it again. Am I still a poet then? So like that kind of question, you know, and being open to that change. Yeah, Jacob yeah. speaks, um, I had him on the podcast before, and he speaks really beautifully about labels um, in his show. I don't know if you saw it, but he he basically says about his autumn diagnosis, which he doesn't agree with. Uh, he says that, well, we only have, you know, maybe let's say 10 major psychiatric disorders mm -hmm. that are, are generally diagnosed you know your bipolar schizophrenia autism um you know manic depressive whatever and a few of them there may be like between five and ten of them mm -hmm. and then you're trying to stuff people into these boxes which mm -hmm. are extremely broad really because symptoms have a lot of crossover symptoms can come from loads of different places don't really understand if they're genetic or if they're environmental or a combination and it's like you're kind of stuffing people into these places when in reality if you wanted you could just create keep creating new labels but you'd need like thousands of them to, right. to make up a person that's got this amount of that symptom and that amount of that symptom and these background and all that and you mix them up and this person would have to have a new label there because it's and he that's why he's like it's kind of it's it's a bit stupid like it's sort of unnecessary even mm. but we do love labels and I, I find myself always trying to naturally trying to categorize and label things. I'm like, okay, so this person has that characteristic and that characteristic. That means they're this type of thing. And I'm like, like, it's, okay. I find myself naturally doing it. But I'm like, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? That's what I mean. Yeah, I think that's my approach with it as well. Like there is a naturalness to it just because our minds work like this. This is how we have always been learning things, you know, trying to classify, trying to analyze and eventually also trying to label. And, and that totally has its place. But I think as the evolved human beings that we now are in 2022, <laughs> I think we can also get to a place where, um, yeah, we don't get too stuck on them, you know, and don't try to categorize. And for instance, obviously, also to not only categorize in binaries, so in like two polar opposites, you know, the good and the bad and the right and the wrong and the male and the female, but to see that most things really, I like to think almost everything around us is on a spectrum, mm -hmm. you know, and I think actually there's an approach in clinical psychology that also talks about diagnosis that way so we know already about autism that it is on a spectrum it's quite literally called autistic spectrum right um but there is a move within clinical psychology that almost all disorders should be seen on a spectrum there is a depression spectrum and the thing is that we're all on it mm -hmm. right and you might be clinically depressed and really you know also needing that label in a way to like get help and get all of this and not just understand what is happening to you in a way um but equally so someone else might have this amazing day or this amazing period and they're also on the depression spectrum just on the on the other end you know for that time being and also realizing that within these spectrums we can move around and we will shift and we will change you know we're not just stuck on that one label within that spectrum if that makes sense yeah so that would be something if there was a quest for me i guess <laughs> it would be something about dealing with labels obviously trying to understand them defining our words doing all of that but also realizing that there's always always um, a range in almost everything that that exists around us you know and that makes us us as well yeah yeah 100% like I always I used to love role-playing games when I was younger like online ones like RuneScape I absolutely loved and 
I've always loved games where you have to level up. You know, you've got skills and you level up those skills. And if you pick a certain character, they'll have a certain amount of base level skills, you know, like strength, uh, I can't think of other ones, like magic, all that type of stuff. And I, that's what I think of humans like, you know, we're born with a distinct set of skills, like Liam Neeson in Taken says, you know, we've all got a distinct set of skills and we are able to change all them all. You know, totally. nothing is stuck. And I think that sometimes people get caught up on the labels and that label becomes their identity and anything that challenges that identity will be rejected and will cause some serious disturbance and i think maybe that's where the label you know crosses the line and a similar thing happens i know that with as people move up the hierarchy um whether we like it or not one does exist within society you know especially in work situations as you move up that hierarchy your base level of serotonin increases then it'll keep increasing as you move up the hierarchy you'll be basically happier on the whole but then if that position is challenged if you're then knocked out of that position fired you can have a total breakdown because if your identity is too much linked with being a ceo being you know the manager or the boss of this and that's taken away from you your serotonin it's it's like a come down and it can totally destabilize you and you see the same thing with maybe people who have struggled to accept a certain part of their identity and then they accept that part of their identity and then they go really strongly into that and then that also leads you down a dangerous path i think and i experienced that like i mentioned to you before that i was diagnosed with autism last year and i'm not sure if it's accurate or not i don't, I, I don't mind if it is i don't mind if it's not um i was sent there by the psychiatrist i was seeing at the time and i went through all the the thing that like the process or whatever like interviews and there was at the end of it one of the people thought that i was and one of the people thought i wasn't and then they battled it out and then for whatever reason they came up with the conclusion that yes i did fulfill the the characteristics the yeah. Yeah. and that was fine but then i started you know digging into it more but part of it was that during that time was i was going through such hell from coming off drugs and all these different things that I don't know if my views of myself were accurate because a lot of it's self-reported and other people's opinions of you. And I don't know if my opinions of myself were accurate or not because my opinions of most things were not accurate at that time. So I don't know. But it just, it got me into the, you know, I was investigating as much as I could about autism and this and that. And I did identify with a lot of it. Um, That's what I just wanted to ask. Like, do you feel like it has helped you? learning about that diagnosis or that oh, label. 100 million percent right. like yeah. i think that it is so unbelievably destabilizing doing it you know like the process lasted about a year and a half because the covid came in the middle meetings were stopped whatever i think maybe i didn't have the money to pay for them or something like that and it stopped and the whole thing took probably a year during which that time it caused me to question every single aspect of my entire personality, okay. all my interactions with everyone, all my interactions with my parents. You know, I went through stages of like severe paranoia and that's because of the drugs mainly, but like thinking, did everyone know this about me? Is it blatantly mm -hmm. obvious to everyone? And I've just like, I've always known that I stick out like a sore right. thumb, you know, and I've, I've, I think I've been comfortable with that. And, you know, I told a few friends, well, I told, plenty of friends to get their opinions and quite a few of them were like well yeah makes sense um because i've always been 
odd. But does that mean autistic? I don't know. Um, but it was, yeah, it's incredibly destabilizing. And I think that focusing inwards on yourself is a surefire way to become unhappy. Um, but if you're doing it with an end goal in sight, I think it's amazing if you can get come out of it. But the period that you do it is extremely unpleasant. It's unpleasant. It's, it's extremely unpleasant. Sure. And mm. my whole world was flipped upside down. My... Mm it it was yeah it was, it was ridiculous but i came out of it and i had the diagnosis didn't really change much i you know i, I wasn't sure if i believed in it or not but i, I didn't really care because for me the whole process of doing it was learning myself and i feel right. like i came out at the end of it and i really i think i understand myself pretty well and i think mm. i understand things that happened in my life and i think my relationships with people i think i understand those pretty well now mm. um and i'm very aware of maybe areas where i thought lack down a bit or which will make which have been were making my life more complicated and more importantly other people's lives around me more complicated but then it's also you don't know whether is that autism or drug and alcohol abuse right and this is something that we see often right like where is what coming from but i mean Right. First of all, thank you so much for sharing that. Actually, um, there's a lot that that comes up for me there. Um, one thing I think, and this is why I asked you, like, was that process in any way helpful? Was that label or diagnosis in the end helpful? You know, whether or not now you believe in it or not. But just saying, like, I think that's the key question. You know, like, what was I able to take out of this um, unpleasant or pleasant? Um, what was I able to learn about myself? And obviously, I think especially with a diagnosis like this, it's also often something that goes back then into childhood and teenagehood mm. and kind of like in hindsight trying to understand some of the things that have happened. Um, something that I would always say there is, um, I think it's really about striking that balance about introspection, so looking inside of ourselves, um, also asking and talking to um, professionals, obviously, about maybe our, our mental mental state um, and, and really being curious about ourselves and trying to figure things out, but also not getting too stuck on overanalyzing everything yeah. because it will always be only in hindsight, right? And even a diagnosis like this, I, I've made the experience that, yeah, it can be extremely healing and very helpful because you try, you really do understand your life maybe a little better, right? And you can also in the future explain yourself a little better to people. You can meet them, you know, differently. You can say, hey, you know, this is what, who I am and this is, this is what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Um, but also there is, there's also a risk in, in overanalyzing. And that's also what I mean with overlabeling and getting mm. too stuck, too stuck on it, you know? Um, another thing that came up for me when you were talking was this idea that is in Buddhist psychology is, is ego clinging. And it's the idea of like, yeah, too much holding on to this ego, this personality, potentially these labels and like overly identifying with it. And again, of course, we are all on this like uh, quest or struggle, I guess, sometimes to who am I? You know, this question of who mm. am I or who should I be? Um, and that's and it's an interesting question to ask ourselves and we should keep asking it. Um, but to yeah, to not get too stuck on on just a couple of labels and and not see that these can also be changed, you know, and that's, they will change most likely throughout your lifetime. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing, and that the the thing, the reason why I originally brought that up was because we were talking about people over labeling and getting too held up on this. And then when I was like investigating this all, I was joining some Facebook groups and this, that, and the other, you know, autism diagnosis, Asperger's, whatever. And um, there were a lot of people on there, and yeah, I did relate to a lot of what they were saying but then I also didn't relate to some of the people and because there are obviously severities of everything Absolutely, you know yeah. 
there were I just remember one girl saying that she couldn't have a shower because the sensory overload from a shower was too much. I was like, oh god. But then when you hear people that are on that have things very extremely, you think, well, you know, that's not me, so that can't be me. And it's the same with like depression or mm, even alcoholism. You like you you think of the drunkest person you've ever seen. You're like, well, I'm not that person, therefore I'm fine. Yeah, or you think of like a suicidal person if you're depressed. You're like, well, I'm not as depressed as them. I'm not depressed, but the, a lot of these people they they got this diagnosis and they were kind of saying well you know i'm autistic which means i can't do this mm. and too quickly too, too quickly, quickly and, and, yeah. and it was almost like using things as an excuse mm. which it's not an excuse and it's it's a reason but it's such a difficult thing because it does sort of give you a fallback method and it it can be used as an excuse you know because it it's easy to say well i can't do this you know to be an arsehole to someone in my case to be an arsehole to someone and be like well sorry i'm not great at communicating i'm I'm autistic and you know instead of being like right let's stop for a bit and let's stop communicating with people until they figure out how to do it um but then obviously people some people maybe they're not able to do that because they don't have the right support around them or they don't have that drive within them or they do get too hooked up on analyzing themselves like when I first started really analyzing myself at first it was it it was hell it was it was pure hell because every single at the time I was when I was I was coming off the drugs and everything and so I was a horrible person I was being horrible to everyone and I was causing a lot of pain to everyone and I was also analyzing myself so I'm analyzing every single thing that I'm doing wrong which is everything and it drained I was I was unable to do virtually anything because mm. I was just so drained all the time that even just communicating with someone was just zap every bit of energy. But then it gets a little bit easier because you stop being such an arsehole and it gets a little bit easier, a little bit easier. And I still analyze everything I do, but I do much less yeah, I wrong. Mm-hmm. So it's not as bad. And I want to be analyzing myself. I want to be yeah. getting better and not being a dick and being pleasant for people to be around because it's much nicer so, it makes I mean, you feel nice yeah something that comes up for me here is like um actually the name of your podcast oh, yeah. the quest for wisdom I, I would i would personally really say i think a beautiful quest for all of us would be like a quest for self-wisdom mm. that really just means like trying our best to understand ourselves is one thing and again that can be through through friends family feedback professionals there's so many ways to get to know yourself just growing older just experience right all of that helps but then equally so to meet that with some self-love and self-care. And what I mean with that is really like this approach to befriending ourselves. And I think this is what we're struggling the most with in our current and modern society. Mm. It's this idea of being right or wrong and needing to be better and needing to be enough and needing to be this or that or this person, right? And this is also what is just shown to us all the time, you know, that we're just not good enough. Um, whereas, yeah, I think a much healthier approach would be to say, A, I'm curious about myself. I want to get to know myself and I'm open for feedback. I'm open for, open for opinions, but I also have that trust in myself that I can double check. Does that sit right? You mm. know, this, is this actually me? Can this, does this fit with me? And secondly, to then befriend that, whatever that is, right? And that could be severe pathology. This could be something that is really, we're really struggling with and still to say, and I'm saying yes to that too, you know, and I also allow that in. And then I think if we do that, then we have that beautiful ability to connect with others because then we can actually meet someone and say, hello, this is my name. You know, these are my pronouns, maybe. And this is this is what I do, you know. Mm-hmm. And for instance, sometimes, you know, I struggle with social interaction. Please don't take it personal. 
you know, tell me what, you know, something like that. Imagine we would meet each other like that, you know, hello, this is me. This is what I do. Sometimes I do that and that, you know, and then have someone else say the same thing to you, you know. Yeah, and yeah. then we also have these moments where what you were saying, like I was reading all of this and that, but I was different there. But here I was similar. Then we can meet people and we go, wow, you know, we, ha we share this. We have this in common. Wow, we both have, you know, that issue about overstimulation or mm -hmm. that joy about social interaction or that fear of death or whatever that is, you know. But then we can meet each other at these moments of beautiful connectivity where, where we can relate, you know. Mm. And to also see that we are all very much individual and all very, very different. But in a way, in our humanness, we're also all the same, you know, yeah. and well, we're all connected through that. And yeah, and I think we're just really losing that ability to connect with others and with ourselves also, you know, because we lose ourselves first and then there's no space anymore to connect with others meaningfully, and especially not with strangers. I hope most people still mm. connect with friends and family, but like with strangers, like, you know. 100%. So, and I think that like one thing that I, came to realize and this was like a lot of this was when i stopped drinking and when you when you're drinking and all of your social interactions are when you're drunk then you don't really bond properly or create any sort of connection or learn anything about anyone because people just talk pure shit and you're not really communicating anything when i stopped drinking i started to realize looking around i was like people are awkward like, yeah, everyone are, is awkward <laughs> you know some people come across as really confident and then after having analyzed my own awkwardness then i'm just able to see it in other people i'm like everyone is awkward what and it makes you feel so much less better less <laughs> less bad about yourself for being weird and awkward because you're like everyone is at the same thing some yeah. people are better at hiding it but <laughs> everyone is damn awkward and i just wanted to say i think it's a beautiful thing to say sometimes i'm awkward you know and then you yeah. don't have to hide it <laughs> what a wonderful way to phrase it yeah 100 also the thing i think with drinking obviously is um uh yeah why in a way we are able to connect then with each other right why is that well obviously we lose some sort of like social fear you know mm -hmm. so we are able to like maybe approach people more openly but we are also numbing ourselves you know with most of the drugs we are skewing our mindset and I'm not going to comment too much on whether or not we should take drugs or not, but I mean, obviously there's, there's an idea about taking it consciously, you know, mm. and really realizing what it does to you and then, and then trying to be as aware as possible while you're consuming in a way, you know, yeah, I, I would yeah. always say that that makes a lot of sense. And, and to realize that alcohol is a numbing drug, you know, like you can barely walk, you can barely like touch your nose <laughs> straight and all that. So um, of course you're losing, you're losing some like real ability to connect with someone, you know, to listen, to actively listen, to understand them. Um, yeah. But also it's like communication styles. And I think that I'm very interested in communication in general now. And luckily my girlfriend is also very interested in that. And so we kind of like try and learn different things and bounce them off each other and everything. But we both, I think, had a very similar communication style. And I was able to see a lot of myself in her, which helped me so much because I saw loads of the irritating things about myself, as you often do with partners, you know, and like our, our communication style tended to be, I, I'm, even with each other, it's quite, we've got better, but it's like, I will talk at you for 10 minutes and then you will talk at me for 10 minutes. And that's kind of the way I was with everyone. I'd always be excited about things, not just blab everything to everyone and then expect them to do the same thing back. But then I realized recently that a lot of people don't do that. People, mm. people might be more shy and they need the information coaxed out of them or people want the actual interaction. And if you just talk at someone, right, then they yeah. think you're an ignorant prick, basically. My self-knowledge <laughs> there. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and so now I'm like, right, 
I'll talk for a bit and I'll be like, right, make sure to ask them a question. So That's what I just wanted to say. Yeah. I have that I have that question mechanism. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, <laughs> and I, I learned, well, working in sales, I think that I worked in sales for like a year and a half or something, didn't like it, but it does teach you a lot about asking open questions. You know, yeah. every, everything, or unless you're really trying to gain solid understanding of a specific thing, most questions should be open. How did you feel about that? Um, what is your something, blah, 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 or whatever, instead of saying, like, do you like this? Mm. You do you know, think it's, it's correct that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think it's correct that? Um, and also ending what you're saying with a question. It's just little things like that that's, like, it's so simple, the, the theory of it. But actually doing it takes time. It takes time. It takes practice, you know. We're not taught to communicate that way. We're not taught, that to that not way. taught at all to communicate that way, but which I feel is like... really something that I think is really sad also, you know. But I think that after doing sales and, you know, they usually unless you're like some absolute pro at it, just naturally people take, I don't know, three, four months to get into the swing of things if they're totally new at cold calling and just having proper conversations and selling. And I'm like, this should be a class really at school because selling, if you can sell a, th a thing you don't care about and you learn how to sell some random thing, you don't give a shit about some software. You can sell yourself in an interview. <laughs> you can, you know, you can market something. You can do anything, really. Mm. It's such a, a valuable skill that it'd be amazing just to teach people the, just the principles, mm. you know, like a, a few short hours at school just teaching people the principles of it. When you're a kid, you'll pick up on it easily and then learn it and then smash it. I feel like they probably do that in America, though. I feel like Americans are very good at that. <laughs> um, I mean, they're, they're brought with, up with that mindset, I guess, yeah. Yeah, it's like that business mentality of like, must be the best. And like, there's, they all seem to be so outgoing, like all the Americans I meet, that's like, yeah. seem to be very good at communicating. Well, I personally, I mean, for me, um, communication at work is, is also dealing a lot with actually communicating about our feelings. Like, as human beings, we are run by our emotions all the time. It's really what, what, what makes us run, right? Like, we walk through a street. We see something, we hear something, something happens to us, someone talks to us, and we react emotionally always. We like it, we don't like it, we hate it, we're sad, we're happy. Um, so this is really what is running through our everyday lives. And yet it's something that we have the littlest knowledge about. Like, mm. what are even emotions and feelings? Um, what are all the differences between them? How do I feel them and acknowledge them and see them in my body? You know, like actually having a connection with our body and then being able to communicate those to other people. Um, that would be always my approach to say like we should really train our kids much more in in um, yeah understanding their feelings and bodily sensations and then how to communicate those with others if we would already do that <laughs> like it would be we would all communicate already much differently you know much, so, much more so than having to then also maybe sell yourselves or so because you can really just say hey this is just who I am today this is what I'm feeling right now how are you you know and we are doing this we're doing mm -hmm. the whole are you but nobody's really really listening to an answer you just you're expected to just say good and good is not even a feeling by the way right <laughs> so like yeah there's just no communication about our actual feelings ever you know while yeah. it is what is running us all the time yeah um have you seen the documentary e-motion no i've not seen it very interesting it's it just it talks about what you mentioned there about emotions in the body being expressed in the body and um i can't remember it so well now but it I think it's only about 20, 30 minutes, but it basically says that each of our organs stores a different emotion. Mm. So the ones that I can remember are your liver is where anger is stored. 
So if you have too much built up anger that's not dealt with, you'll end up with liver problems and alcohol affects your liver very negatively and it also mm. creates anger within people. Not everyone, but within certain people and grief. And obviously like when I first saw this, like I'm very, very curious about the more esoteric types of science, should I say, or theories, you know, like this, this isn't necessarily widely accepted yet i don't think mm. but sometimes you have to draw the line between this seems a bit far-fetched and this is not but that does not seem far-fetched to me and then the other one i remember was grief is stored in the lungs and then i never believed well i didn't not disbelieve it but i was just like you know took it as what it is and then my grandma my granny in ireland was taken she was ill with pneumonia and the doctor said to her it was probably because of grief from the dogs. Her dog died or something. And uh, and then I was like, right, so this is a doctor in Ireland where they are very disbelieving of new cutting-edge kind of mm -hmm. discoveries. And he's saying that to them. So it's like, that's obviously something that's already understood. And I was like, wow. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know this particular um, documentary, but what I do know is that um, we know already, and this is scientifically known, that a body and mind are extremely strongly mm. connected, right? And we all have examples for this in, in our everyday lives. But we do know that mental health problems also have an impact on on our body, and equally so, our body our bodily issues have an impact on our mind as well, right? Um, and what you were saying there about spirituality or yeah, esoteric uh, ideas, there is also a movement within within science and especially within psychology and neuroscience as well, where more and more of the beliefs that have been labeled as spiritual and far-fetched are now mm. starting to be assessed, you know, scientifically. And something that I'm very personally just extremely interested in is, is this overlap and is this like this meeting of of spiritual wisdom or or ancient wisdom um, and our like cutting edge scientific wisdom, which is really, you know, just a, a couple of years old <laughs> in comparison. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to see just how these two meet and again to not say one is better than the other one is right or wrong but just to say hey let's look at each other there and look at both of these like knowledge systems and there's more out there by the way um and see where they can meet and learn from each other and this is the same as i think we should do with human beings you know mm -hmm. have different opinions come together listen to each other learn from each other see where the overlap is and understand that also that is constantly changing like science is constantly changing we've seen this with covid why have we struggled so much with uh, what scientists have told us to do and not to do in the beginning to wash our hands, you know, and then later on they said, oh, actually the masks are better. Yeah, this is because science is also always changing. Yeah? Our knowledge is always getting more refined and updated in a way, you know. And I feel like we're uncomfortable with that. We want to always know the right answer, you mm -hmm. know. There needs to be just one right answer. And in a way, also within science, that's never the case. It's always constantly evolving, you know. And to understand also that that's, that's the process, um, I think would be something that would be really helpful for us, you know? Yeah, I'm also extremely interested in the, the crossover point you mentioned between spirituality and science. And I feel like these past, even like less than five years, there has really been a lot of focus and people are kind of like, wait a minute, there's something more here. Like maybe these people that have been saying these same things for thousands of years, like, maybe they're maybe they're accurate maybe we should be looking into this you know these even things like as simple as yoga and meditation okay. you know that have been around for five thousand years and they've explained like in the vedic scrolls they explain all about them all the things they do for the body everything 
everyone's like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, the body and the mind, and the mind, and it's like, oh yeah, you know, blah blah blah. And now everyone's like, wait a minute, meditation's actually really good for everything. It changes our brain. <laughs> it changes <structures>. your brain <laughs> structure. Yeah. Like you can rewire your, you can literally rewire your brain and replenish your dopamine by just lying there. Yeah. Yeah. miss absolutely or sitting or, or, sitting, <laughs> or walking, yeah. Or, walking yeah. <laughs> yeah or just doing anything i'm just i think it's so cool there's a book i can't remember who the the author is but he's he describes himself as like a, a neuroscientist slash mystic mm-hmm. and um it's called becoming supernatural and he explains a lot of spiritual practices you know meditation and a few other things um in neuroscientific terms and it's just so cool that these are starting to be explained. And I'm really excited about when they crack dreams, mm-hmm. you know, like when dreams are cracked. Because obviously there's a few theories and they make sense. And But it's like when they really crack what's going on. And even, I mean, it's scary, but being able to kind of record your dreams and watch them back out and that type of thing will be mad. <laughs> or watch someone else's dreams. Like that, that stuff is crazy. Um, would you think we would be able to make sense of watching someone else's dreams? Or would there always be like some sort of like subjectivity aspect to it? Something that only that person dreaming it in that moment can understand, see, feel? It's like watching a movie, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. if you watch a movie, you can take various different um, you can take various different um, ideas from the movie and very diff- you can pick up on different things from the movie, but I would think of it as a movie. Mm. You know, and a lot of them, my ones, I think, are all first person anyway. So, someone else might think around. of it as a podcast. Huh? Someone else might think of it as a podcast. Someone who, for instance, can't see. You know. True. So, like, I'm just, I'm just asking that question a little cheekily, but I feel like there's so much. Um, like we all have our own realities and own input. You know, that central input, really. So, for instance, being visual or not, for instance. Um, and th- and then to make sense out of this and then to interpret it, you can already see, you know, we can at best have only some sort of shared reality, but to, to think that there's just one reality out there, I think is already like mistaken, you know, and again, this is like what is always preached to us and told to us, you know, haven't you seen this? It's so obvious. Well, yeah, you have maybe looked at it that way and you've seen it that way, you know, mm. and again, I feel like we're not equipped to just meet each other at this point of checking, okay, where, where do we have that overlap? Where do we have that shared reality? And with a dream like that, I would think, you know, if it's played out, I don't know how this is exactly done and whether it is in a visual format or so, but um, I feel like there will always be some sort of subjectivity to it. There will always be that subjectivity of the actual dreamer in that moment, you know? Mm. Um, will we ever really fully be able to understand, feel um, what is going on in that person in that moment, you know? True. I, I suppose it would depend on the dream and the person, but I would. I think that, I don't think that my dreams, the ones I'm thinking of, I don't think that they are, I think a lot, a lot of my dreams are like, um, it's as if it's a novel or mm-hmm. a, or a, or like a movie happening. Right. And like, <laughs> sometimes I have dreams where I'm actually writing the novel as it's happening. So it's like, I don't wow. think that that would be... The writer in you. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I don't think that those would be like difficult really to understand because it's as if it's a script. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I wake up and I'm like, gotta write that down. And I write really quickly. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, that's going to make such a cool movie. <laughs> um... But there's How can a, I make art out of that? <laughs> yeah, there's a um. I've written poems in dreams as well, which oh, is amazing. like there's one uh, which I, I was like I wish it would happen more, but I think this is like partly when like from drug withdrawals as well that you get really crazy dreams. But 
there was one where this girl who I went to primary school with was like talking a poem to me and then I was like I woke up but I was like half asleep and I recorded I I pressed like record on my phone I recorded myself saying it as she was saying it to me in the dream I recorded it out and I was like man I wish this would happen more often because it was crazy it was really good like it was really like well written poem as well and I was like amazing there you go inspiration comes from everywhere hey come come from our dreams it's nice that you say that see this is this is what i find interesting like to share a little bit also okay so how how are you dreaming you know how do you feel that and also in in our way i mean we've connected through poetry already but um to realize like yeah what can i get can i take out of this and how can i make art out of this like for me it's interesting that um i when i'm stressed or agitated i can get like ocd like personality traits right so i don't have official diagnosis or anything like that but I know enough about it that, yeah, I can get quite controlling, quite perfectionistic. I can get I'm, I can get quite stuck on certain numbers and also repetition of phrases. And, yeah, the repetition of phrases has been amazing for performing poetry, of course. But, uh, yeah, what I have sometimes is that I wake up in the morning and I can either remember the dream or not, but I do wake up with a certain phrase already. And for some reason I get stuck on it and then I repeat it. And through the repetition, I have the feeling that there's something powerful in it. And then usually that kind of sparks some sort of inspiration to write. And it's a bit usually like a also, mantra. Yeah, a little bit maybe. It's a certain phrase. Could be something, one phrase was at some point, there is no need to change for me just for me to be. There mm. is no need to change for me just for me to be. And then I was like, okay, so what, what is that telling me? Right, and then when I wake up early, it's usually also early morning hours, then I have this like perfect prime time to then write something about it, which is, which is interesting. So it kind of comes from a dream, I guess. But um, yeah, it develops then into like my writing style. And, and I love this. I love exchanging like, okay, how do you dream and how do you write, you know? Because mm. um, yeah, it's different for all of us. Yeah, sure. I would say that, I'd say that probably 95% of my dreams are unpleasant though. I'd say mm. most of them are, which is irritating. When I was younger, I used to get really cool dreams. And um, I remember like I started when I was probably like 11, 12-ish, I started lucid dreaming and then... I started drinking and taking drugs and then that stopped. And then I've only had like... Naturally lucid dreaming or like trying Naturally to... lucid dreaming, oh, yeah. Okay. And um, and then I've only had like one or two lucid dreams in my adult life. But I would like... I really, really would like to be able to do that again. It's something it's that you can cool. practice, eh? Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. And I think the like sleep is just so important. And I, I've spent... Cause I always had absolutely terrible sleep. I never put any effort into it. I used to go to bed at like two in the morning during the week and then eight in the morning and the weekend every week and every weekend for years and then now now that I'm like fairly disciplined with my sleep I you know I try to go to bed during the week at 11 ish 11 30 maybe which is later than I'd like but now when I do stay up occasionally you know one or two in the morning very rarely I'm wrecked the next day and I'm like oh my god and I'm like wrecked and I'm noticeably moody I'm like noticeably lacking motivation and I'm like how did I do this every day no wonder i was out of my mind i just wanted to say i think sleep hygiene is something that we're also again not um taught at all or talking enough about and also realizing like all these different stages in our lives and different age spans and hormonal levels that we have that our sleep changes you know and to understand that and to also realize like when do we need a lot of sleep or less sleep like for instance that we do need a lot of sleep as as teenagers actually and to have to wake up at 6 a.m to go to school at 8 is torture for teenagers yeah. you know we we'll keep doing it you know we, we cannot rub our head around maybe starting school a little later in a time frame from like maybe 13 to 16 years or something like that sleep is so 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 important it's actually true that there's 
a lot of different theories about sleep because we still don't know exactly 100% why we sleep. We know mm. that there is a lot to it and we can record brain waves and all that, but we don't exactly know why, but we do know that it's massively important. You you die literally if you don't sleep, right? It's a torture me me mechanism as well, which is um yeah, because it, it's it's so 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 powerful for us and still we don't we don't exactly know when we don't exactly know why. But I think talking about sleep sleep hygiene and um, yeah, how we can care for our sleep, you know, to make sure that we do fall asleep properly, that we sleep deeply and that we also wake up okay because all of these three things we can struggle with, you know. I, I used to have uh, sleep problems with falling asleep. So mm, this feeling same. of like being tired and also bodily and mentally tired but just not being able to sleep because I was ruminating so much yeah. and it was, it was awful. And of course it impacts the next day, it impacts your mental health and again impacts your bodily health, right? Yeah. Yeah, sleep is a fascinating topic. Sure. It is really cool. Um, Sorry about that. Yeah, there's um one thing I forgot to mention on the, the dreams topic. There's a lady, she's dead now, called Madame Blavatsky, and she's written quite a few books. Um, I've got one of them, but I haven't read it yet. But she, amongst some other people... They had it was like um it was like the order of the rosa cruciferians or something like that and they these people believed that they could meet each other in this in their dreams and it's like you know this is kind of like dark magic type stuff from like that type of occult stuff I'm, I'm so drawn to but i'm also just like better not fuck with that connor <laughs> because it is true you're probably going to get possessed Right. Um, but so I'm like, then we're back at self knowledge. So yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm don't like, go oh god, I'm like, don't go to the dark side. Um, but I've had some. Don't be afraid of it, though. Oh, but this. the occult you know, never goes well for anyone that goes there. Mm. You know, it's like it's that it's the um, the allure of ultimate knowledge and power of the dark side, and then you go and you start trying to meet people in your dreams, and you get stuck in a dream world or something like that, and you can't come back and. I don't know. I'm like, to me, I'm thinking probably that is true. Mm. But I, I tend to want to believe in things. But I also just think there's we know that there's different levels, different planes. There's the spiritual plane. We know that you can meet entities if you take psychedelic drugs and you can yeah. you can. Are these entities all connected? Are they part of nature in some way? And psychedelics allow us to see them. Do dream states get us into new states we can't access when we're uh, sober are there only certain people that maybe can can do these type of things can everyone do it so many questions Amazing. who knows but going back to like the sleep torture thing there there's an experiment oh God, i'm done. sorry i brought that up <laughs> <laughs> no there was a uh, there was an experiment i and they were seeing how long people could stay without sleep mm. and um i think it was about five or six days if i don't if i'm not wrong and there was um people started getting schizophrenia yeah, symptoms yeah. and there was one person i can't remember how long that they he was sleep deprived for but he didn't recover mm. that that like permanently damaged him for not sleeping that is crazy yeah. no the... we should take our sleep very very carefully that's why also like shift work is insane you yeah know? But, so i mean i i understand you can shift your sleeping patterns from potentially going a little later to bed and then sleeping later in and mm -hmm. all that right you can do that um but like keep changing it up which is what shift work does right having to work at night having to work during the day what, what nurses are doing for instance is in 
incredibly stressful for body and mind like it's 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 really 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 bad um and and again we're like not dealing with this you know we're not we're not talking enough about this i think this is such a massive aspect and there's such little little things also i mean we all know this maybe that um, being on our phones in the evening you know and still being on a screen while you're already in bed is like the worst you can do like if you do it the one or two hours before going to sleep it 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 really impacts your sleep so massively and yet it kind of tells us no this is the thing that will put me to sleep but it does exactly the opposite it actually activates the nervous system yeah and yeah it's supposed to be after between 10 and 4 o'clock it's supposed to um it's supposed to actually impact your dopamine system yeah, right. and also your mood between 10 and 4 so if you're in it, on it between 10 and 4 which is a lot of people then your mood is going to be impacted and it's not if you're on it for one two hours even small amounts of yeah, absolutely. it's Any not even just fan. phone yeah it's also just TV. normal light in your house yeah, as well so yeah. like i want to get myself some because i i'm quite photosensitive mm. so like at night even when we were in the, in the k tempest concert like i was having to cover my eyes because the lights were like hurting me so giving me a headache mm. and um they it's like when I at night when I'm going to the toilet or something I'm, I try to close my eyes because even like the small amounts of light I'm like if it's hurting my head it's probably me telling you um it's probably my brain telling me that not a good idea not a good idea not good for it. you um see this is exactly what I mean about like getting to know yourself you know this, yeah. is, this is really the key and to like exchange also like look this is something that I've figured out for myself this is where I've read it this is where I heard it and then sharing it with others, seeing if it resonates with them, you know. So that's that's um, the yeah. thing. I like when I learn these things. I feel like I have to tell people. I'm like, look, like this is bad for you. Stop doing it because yeah. they're relatively simple things, but yeah. they tend to be like the the addictive things, like going on your phone. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I remember when I was a kid, my mum telling me, um, you know, the you have to go to bed before midnight. The hours before midnight are um, more important for your sleep. And I remember just thinking bullshit that's what she's telling me because she wants me to go to bed early <laughs> bullshit and obviously you never believe what your mum says when you're a teenager you're just like nah bullshit and now like i've um i've read matthew walker's book why we sleep and listened to him on a podcast he's brilliant and they're like yeah the hours before midnight are when most of your growth hormone is stimulated and yeah. it's when most of your deep sleep happens so after that you are but it also depends on kind of what region we're on uh, in the world and what season you know so i would always say like also really go with the seasons we have these circadian uh, rhythms within us and a circadian clock also in our in our brain and it's true we do react to light right it's it's once one of the key stimulus that we absorb and it tells our body to go into sleep or not um to release certain hormones also that prepare us for sleep to wake us up something that has really helped me actually was to more go with the seasonal light so we're in barcelona here um the nights are obviously longer during during winter right and and in summer they're shorter and i'm also trying to like go to bed within these time frames we stay up much longer in summer it's nice it's warm outside and that's okay also because the light is up there you know but mm. obviously in winter we get more tired we get tired earlier it's quite natural so just to understand all of that you know and to not be harsh on yourself like why am i tired in winter well it is because it's winter yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> maybe it's a good idea that we sleep a little more and also that again will change you know the seasons will change our sleep patterns change slightly but for me it has helped a lot to have natural light in my bedroom actually i used to sleep in, in pitch darkness yeah. and it gave me night terrors um again could be could be super super useful for someone else to sleep in pitch blackness for me 
it was not very healthy and i really enjoy now sleeping with um yeah with just like natural light coming from the outside and kind of adapting to that as well uh, waking up earlier or later depending on the season yeah yeah i i would like to sleep with natural light but then i have like a really thick blackout curtain to partly block out some of the noise well i just wanted to say because you were living in the city i, live in I the have city. the privilege to live in the countryside yeah and that's the thing i mean i do sleep with an eye mask so it doesn't really yeah. i've always liked sleeping with an eye mask and earplugs like block out all the senses but um there's a really cool um i have this really cool alarm clock which i used to use when i was living in the city now living out in the countryside i don't need it anymore but um so for instance i totally understand that you want to black out like artificial light from the outside and also noise of course um but uh, this alarm clock you can set it on a certain time that you need to get up and it will mimic a sunrise within um. your room for like half an hour or so so it slowly starts to make some light in the room half an hour before you need to get up um mm. and it works really really not well because it actually wakes you up slowly so you don't have the sensation more likely you're more likely to not have the sensation of like completely being pulled out of a dream or deep sleep when your alarm goes off so i highly recommend those what are they called they must be called something like sunrise clock or something like that yeah i did hear about that recently actually i thought that sounds really cool maybe i need to get one of those yeah yeah it's absolutely absolutely good and especially yeah. when you're in the city and you need to block out the artificial light you have that sort of stimulation there yeah very nice so what drew you into psychology and what mm branch of psychology do you practice right. and how do you earn your money from it okay so those are three very distinct questions three actually. very distinct so questions let's go, <laughs> let's go step by step what brought me into psychology i um i don't know at some point i was just super interested in trying to understand why we do the stuff we do so why as human beings do we do certain things because we're fucking weird because we're all weird and awkward that was the solution <laughs> after 10 years of studying <laughs> no no but um yeah i don't know it was waitressing actually in england i was working in london after high school you know and uh, i was waitressing and talking to all these people as, as i think waitresses also they get so much knowledge about uh human beings because you have all these people that you see all day and i don't know after after uh, jobbing there i i had this like very strong inclination of i want to understand why people behave the way they do and what they're thinking and feeling right so learn about behavior emotions and cognition so that brought me to it and then while um being in an interdisciplinary college i realized that i was also really fascinated by very extreme behavior and like the on the extreme um violent aggressive side of things so why do people do bad things that we label as bad things um yeah and so i got into criminal psychology so my master's was in forensic or criminal psychology Mm, with a specialization on uh, early prevention of antisocial and aggressive traits in children. And so I was working for a little while also with families um, who, yeah, had children that were showing um, very antisocial behavior and we were um, giving free therapy to the parents. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so this is a little bit my background. Um, and I do love it. I'm, I'm so, so, so happy. I studied psychology. I'm, I'm so, so, so happy about also my master's and, and the work I've done. Um, but I've also realized that I'm equally fascinated by the exact opposite side of that spectrum. So not only the, the very bad, the negative, the, the, the violent, the aggressive behavior that really makes us suffer, but the other side of the very positive behavior, the behavior where we care for each other, where we have empathy, where we connect, where we help, where we are altruistic. Um, and so I've kind of like pushed a little bit more into the like positive or buddhistic psychology um, um, aspect. And I'm currently also... Uh, going through a meditation and yoga training um and i kind of kind of want to meet those both ends i'm fascinated in both of them 
And I've also realized just for my very self that currently I don't want to be in a work setting within the criminal field. Um, it's fascinating work. It's absolutely um, incredible. But there's also a couple of things that I'm not super happy about. And also for me personally, I don't want to be in that work setting on a daily basis at the moment. So I'm... What yeah. are things you're not happy about? Well, so one aspect is definitely within clinical psychology, broadly speaking, so not just criminal psychology, uh, which is the diagnosing. I understand that it's there. And it's, as we said earlier, um, interesting, all the research that went into all these different um, disorders. But here we go. We're calling them disorders. Um, and the criteria, and it is really helpful for people to understand themselves. But I don't want to be on that end where I'm labeling people. You know, I'm, I'm in my private life so much going against all these like very rigid and stuck labels. So I just don't see myself doing that. Um, that's one thing. I also um, think yeah. it's like, I was thinking about it before that diagnosing someone is crazy an actual like it's it's the the burden and the responsibility of actually putting a diagnosis on a person yeah. a diagnosis which is so easy to get wrong and also a, a diagnosis which is subjective pretty yeah. much it's, i mean there is a lot of safeguards obviously in place mm. and there's a lot a lot of research that goes into diagnosing of course right so i really don't want to uh, minimize that it, 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 this was really much more of a personal choice yeah, that yeah. i realized i just didn't want to be in that position where i had to diagnose and label people and also for instance in the forensic field if i would work for instance in a prison or a forensic institute uh, i would have to go into that prison every day as well so this yeah. is the work that i have to also do right um i also kind of have the theory that i don't know but i'm not sure whether in my 20s i want to therapize people you know i've just turned 30 now and Maybe in a couple of years, I want to go back into therapy and, and, and help others that way. But um, there was a lot, a lot that I wanted to figure out for myself first and also a, a practice that I wanted to establish for myself. So with mindfulness practice, it's it's something that has given me so much stability and so much clarity that I feel now slowly equipped to help mm. people on that path. Right. Whereas, yeah, if I would have started started immediately after my studies at 25 or 26, I would have not been ready. And there's a lot of psychologists that burn out extremely quickly, you know. Because yeah, I guess yeah, we are not really equipped for it just because we've studied for a couple of years, you know. Yeah, you're, like you're yeah. still, you're still developing in your twenties. Yeah, like your brain, yeah. the brain, I think, stops developing when you're like twenty nine ish. Oh, I never actually really dealt with neuroplasticity until mm. forever. Right? Well, strictly speaking, it always is changeable and malleable. But yeah, so this was really like a personal choice that I realized it's fascinating, and I'm so so happy I did it. And maybe I'll go back into that. But currently, I don't see myself in that everyday work setting mm -hmm. um, like that. And there's a lot of um, yeah practice that I want to develop for myself first, and also rather teach it. So I've also uh, gone into teaching. I've taught a couple of years at university, oh. um, psychology, philosophy, neuroscience mainly. Um, but I'm also super fascinated in, in teaching more mindfulness practices. Yeah, so I do see myself doing that actually a bit more psychology yeah. philosophy and neuroscience. neuroscience yeah this was at an interdisciplinary college yeah oh, so like um like uh, a college for people that are up to 18 um so no this was a university college oh. so i mean age i guess it was 17 18 up to 25 or so um yeah uh, it's a liberal arts and science college in the netherlands um, and the idea is basically that you have this rather free curriculum and so you can choose kind of the different branches that you're interested in and people don't study just one subject or something like only psychology. So you're able to study different things and then specialize on one or two subjects. Um, yeah, so that's, that's where cool. I was teaching. Yeah, again, something I think that actually um, many, many years ago, this was quite natural that 
people were doing biology but also astrology but also writing and like you know we, we were so vastly branching out and we have become this like over specialized species that was like, i mean it's obviously fantastic to have experts and it's amazing if you have that one thing that fascinates you like go for it mm. but to also realize that it is a lot of strength in having um like broad interests you know and interest in many many different subjects and seeing again where those subjects overlap you know where's the overlap between psychology sociology politics and i don't know economics or something like that you know yeah i find that so i, I suppose it depends on personality because some people they know what they want from a young age and they want to do that and they become an expert in that and it's amazing that we have those people because otherwise <laughs> things would yeah. not exist um but then i had this argument with my mum quite a few times she's like no you should pick one thing and then just study that and you know become an expert at that and i'm like yeah but number one i'm not going to do that and i don't agree that that's the best way to do it because yeah, that's like, exactly like, right i don't think it's the only way and i and i always think that number one you, you're a much better dinner party guest if you know if you know <laughs> a bit <laughs> yeah exactly which is if you know a bit about lots of different things because then if you know like a basis amount about various different things you have a base knowledge say you've done like one university module or two university modules about various different topics it means that then you can learn very easily more about those things by someone talking to you you know like you can also learn more about your subject while looking at another yeah and yeah so, exactly I mean, and find the also, links between yeah, exactly. stuff it's like you know I, I always thought of if you study like botany or something mm -hmm. and you are also into neuroscience then you might find a link between botany and neuroscience yeah, that no one else has ever thought That's of right. because they're not doing that and it's like there's links between everything absolutely. there's like crazy overlaps between everything and I love thinking of those patterns between yeah, yeah. things I find it so I find it fascinating it's so cool and neuroscience is especially cool i started doing a um like a, an online university course which i also thought was unbelievable i can't it's coursera that's what it's called c-o-u-r-s-e-r-a they have loads of online university courses for free or for a small amount of money and so this was a, a neuroscience course from i think it's the university of chicago which is like top 10 uni in the world free for free amazing accessibility like, wow i know and i was like this is amazing because the woman doing the course she was so passionate about it she made it as fun okay. as it could be you know on a like a, a distance course and you can do it in your own time um and i just thought it was so Brilliant. i was like this is free for free yeah. you know and i paid nine thousand for a year <laughs> that's right yeah but then i was just like this is i don't know it's so they gave me so much hope for like the access to education now mm -hmm. is an internet connection and it is so cool because it it separates it it separates the division between rich and poor in terms of opportunity but sorry it reduces mm -hmm. the the division for rich and poor in terms of opportunity because ultimately you can teach yourself and yeah you'll have less opportunity if you're poor because you probably will have less connection to uh, certain things but also less education right? less education Literacy is still an issue obviously and, but yeah. for driven people with an internet connection there's more access there is like yeah. far more access now than there would have ever mm -hmm. been you know poor people 30 40 years ago would have had actually no opportunity to but break you need, out you of do that. need to have the vocabulary right you need to have the right like 
search hits as well, I guess, you know, which I also think we sometimes forget how educated we are to find what we're interested in, if that makes sense. You know, finding that kind of course that you did there online is because you have some sort of education knowing what to what to Google, what to search for, you know. So like right. on a very base level there, I think there's obviously still a massive distinction in just what we have access to, you know. But I understand your point in saying like in general, the Internet exists, is it's accessible to, to many, many people and there's a lot of possibility in there. But equally so, obviously, there's also a possibility of going into rabbit holes that are not very fruitful, you know, mm. um, or, or, or um, information that, that is negative and, and harming, you know. So it's yeah, a double, and double so point, I guess. I didn't, I, I forgot to mention it at the beginning, but what brought you to live on a thinker oh, yes. in the countryside? <laughs> and do you want to explain what a thinker is? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so Finca is uh, basically a farmhouse in, in, in Spain. Um, um, and yeah, what brought me to it? So my uh, mom got a breast cancer diagnosis pretty much two years ago now. And she's okay so far. Um, it got caught very early. It didn't spread yet. She was able to get a surgery. So all the things you kind of want to hear when you get a cancer diagnosis. Um, and nonetheless, we had this like beautiful con phone conversation um, when she knew something was up where we just realized, never mind what the result will be. So whether she'll get just a couple of months predicted or whether she will have like another beautiful 10, 20 years, whatever it is, we want to spend that time, quality time. We want to spend it together and we want to spend it differently as well. So, yeah. Um, and then all of this came in that it wasn't a very aggressive type of cancer. It was caught early. All of the things you want to hear. And we could see how that conversation slipped away again. And you, we were we were saying, all right, so we can just continue the way we do. She was living in Cologne, but alone. <laughs> just mm. a beautiful rhyme. In Cologne alone. Mm. And um, but in a, in a in a setting she wasn't very happy with. Um, there was a lot of toxicity in that in that exact apartment in the past. And a lot of yeah negativity still in there. Let's say I was full time working in the Netherlands, and we were seeing each other every now and then, but not often. And we could see how we were slipping back into. All right, we'll just continue. And it was a really active process to say, nope, you know, now we have given this chance that she will likely, hopefully, knock on wood, live for a couple more years. And we have this time to spend it now together. So how do we want to spend it? And that kind of just sparked a process of, okay, so we do want to sell her place. I do want to quit my job and we do want to live somewhere else. And then it was very clear we want to live in the countryside. We want to live in nature. We want to live more sustainably. We want to live with permaculture and we want to um, also live in the Mediterranean, you know, so we are from Germany, um, move south and yeah, and then lots of things came together. Um, but we actually followed through all within a year, which when I'm talking about it is insane. I would not recommend to anyone, but we were selling a place, quitting a job, finding a new place, moving there and renovating it all within a year. And we specifically came to Catalonia, so um, to our south of Barcelona, um, yeah, due to many reasons. Um, also very interested in the very like anti-fascist movement that obviously has been happening in Catalonia for many years um, and yeah the politics um, that are in place here which are oftentimes leaning more to the left so yeah we were fascinated by this place and decided we're gonna move and so we moved out there and we were also pretty sure or we were very aware that due to things happening in our lives we were now able to buy this house there which is not massive, but it's it's nice and the setting is beautiful, of course. But we were just given this, like this is not this is not something that we deserve to have, if that makes sense. So we were also very clear that we wanted to have it more communally. So we have been having people living with us, working with us um, throughout this year, and uh, try to have like a bit of a communal living project, let's say. 
um yeah and so that's where i'm mainly living and i come into the city every now and then because i am a city girl i've always lived in cities and i do like uh, the cultural cultural events here i perform here quite a bit so yeah that has brought us there ah so you your mum lives there permanently and yeah. then you have people that come in every so often to help out yeah exactly. and so they come in for like a few weeks and they stay and they help out and they leave that's right yeah so mostly it was always a couple of weeks up to a month uh, one friend of us was staying with us for seven months so she was staying longer but yeah mostly people come and uh, either just plainly visit or they come live with us work with us as well there's a lot you can do obviously um, um, we have olive trees so there's a lot of farming that can be done equally so with the garden the house needs maintaining there's always something if you live out in the countryside there's always something to do, to do. Um, yeah and then also ex experience yeah community again and experience um, um, having time in nature which I think many of us in the big cities really don't have that much of. Mm. And that question of how do I want to fill my days with sense and how do I want to connect with others, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so it has been um, a beautiful time, also challenging. It's always also challenging to live out there and uh, to live in community, let's say, but uh, also really, really fruitful. Yeah. And it has brought my mom and me closer together than ever. And equally so also realizing that we have our own individual paths, of mm -hmm. course. So, for instance, mine does lead me also to other places now and being a bit more in Barcelona. But I'm obviously still involved in our project. Yeah. But so now, so now your mum, is she over the cancer or? Yeah, define over. So not really. She, um, so she, she decided uh, back then for surgery. Um, it was a hormonal type of cancer. So she wasn't recommended chemotherapy. Um, but she was recommended radiation and back then she decided against the radiation it's also on the left uh, in the left breast which is really close to her heart so yeah radiation obviously attacks everything that is in that region um so she was deciding uh, for the surgery mainly and this lifestyle change and just now she had had another surgery because something something small grew back um and we were obviously worried that it was because she had decided against radiation but the doctors were also saying look even with radiation, it, it, it's possible that something grows back. You know, radiation therapy doesn't 100% tell you you won't have no, um, no, no cancer anymore. Um, so something small grew back. She needed another surgery, but it was also right next to, to her scar. So there's also the possibility that, yeah, maybe it was just not all cut away properly the first time. We don't know. It's all speculation. But for now, she's decided again for a second surgery, again against radiation. And we'll see what the next year brings. But again, she's okay so far. It hasn't spread to her, so throughout her body. Um, yeah, so can you ever be over cancer? I'm not sure. I guess, yeah, some people are. It could always be that it grows back, but for now, she's okay. For now, yeah. she's okay. So she's yeah. not, like, actively ill or anything? Not actively, yeah. Practically not actively ill. Okay. Yeah. Or well, actively that's on good. medication or so. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope she... I hope the surgery goes well. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> very, very tough situation. But I've got... um. I have another friend who lives out in in Tarragona and in a it's a pretty big finca, but she lives just by herself. Oh wow. And then That's it's so much work. It's like in a valley and it takes like even to get from the road, which is isn't even a main road, like the nearest town's probably like twenty minutes away or something. Right. Even to get down the valley, down her road is like a trip. Five, ten minutes, you know, like a long walk. Five, ten minutes in the car. And she lives there by herself. Like she got snowed in a year or two ago. Whenever it snowed a lot, she's just stuck. Yeah, yeah. She just couldn't go anywhere. Couldn't. Yeah. Luckily, she's like 
got hordes and hordes of food because she's like expecting the world to end and everything. Oh, no. um, but like, yeah, so I, 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 that, I spent a, only a really small amount of time with her, but I understand that concept of there is always something to be done. Yeah, always. there's always something that needs to be done. You know, there's always plants that need tending to, fruit, vegetables, whatever. It, there it is can the be, house. It definitely can be stressful, but obviously if you can do it in a way that you can see the meaning of it again, you know, and mm. that you are a little bit closer to how have we been living in the past. Because city life is the most modern you can have, you know. And uh, yeah, obviously it's fascinating and it's thrilling and all that, but we're also uh, really detached from, yeah, what, um, where food and water is coming from and um, how to heat <laughs> and all that, you know. Um, so it is a lot of work, but it can also be really, really fruitful. Of course, it can be really, really nice to be. Yeah, like, like I there. don't even know. In because like half of it wasn't even it had like a whole floor i think it's about four floors and because it was an old olive farm mm -hmm. and i think it's pretty crazy actually like i think they used to use prisoners or slaves to do this big olive oh, wow. thing and i remember i just mm. i started seeing these little faces in the mud in the valley and then i just couldn't stop seeing them these little like look like they were like faces of people like like little tiny ones um, and then I couldn't stop seeing those and I was like, oh, and then she told me, oh, yeah, I think they used to use prisoners down here um, oh, wow. to, because it's, it's massive, it's like 204 acres. Yeah. It's huge. So, she lives alone. And she's alone. In this we thing. have one hectare and I'm already like, all right, this does not work. You know? Oh, it's so, but like, it's living there. But it, yeah, she's always like looking for help. Sometimes she gets help in, but because yeah. me and my girlfriend, we always wanted to get a place like that, but. I keep saying to her, I don't think this is the right time in our lives for mm -hmm. it, you know, because it is, we're trying it's to do, we, step, yeah. you know, we're trying to build our careers and build all other stuff. And if you do that, that's what you do. Mm -hmm. You know, that occupies most of your time. Yeah, this um, has definitely been like a full-time job for me the past year, I would say. Yeah. But also because we had it so communally, right? So it yeah, was not yeah. only managing the house and the land, but also the people coming in and out. And obviously there's conflict that can arise and um, just communication, you know, with people coming in and out. Um, but I really, I really, really loved it, and I, I, I'm so, so, so happy to stay involved. But equally, so I can just see that there's some other paths for me that are not only um, out there building, building this, um, this communal project. Let's say, yeah, not only. I will, I, I will hopefully have a chance to experience it though, because my family's got some land in Ireland, mm. and um, like my granny's still alive, but probably won't be for that much longer. And then, like it was a farm, and so it still is used. Some of it's used for a farm, but. I would love to turn it into kind of a permaculture place and like mm. big mushroom shed and have it where like a retreat where people can come and learn permaculture and learn those types of things. Not that I know anything about <laughs> it, but I would learn, you know, I would learn how to do it. And what That's I really it. want is a big mushroom research center right. to like research different uses for mushrooms. Mm. I really want to, um, I have an idea to make, like a canvas like material out of mushroom so you could make tents out of the mushroom material oh wow that would then be biodegradable okay um don't know if it's possible but it probably is because there's so many species of mushrooms that it must be possible um I so your I hope... grand ideas huh? i really love your grand ideas <laughs> <laughs> really stick with every but... single one of them <laughs> but then and please tell me when they come true <laughs> oh hopefully but it's like such like a little it's island and so it's really green and those are kind of hills and it's 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 a bit like it's close to lord of the rings you know yeah, like right. the shire yeah and it's like i just always imagine if i can make some little 
you know, some yurts and some hobbit houses, maybe in the hill or something. And then you get some random people from China or something that come over and that live in the city. And they come over there and it's like the furthest thing away maybe from that. Maybe not they the were most like... sustainable to have them fly in from China. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> Stick them on a container ship. <laughs> no, 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 don't do that. Please, don't. <laughs> but people come in from anywhere, you know, like if they want to come and, yeah. and see what's going on. Hopefully yeah. by that time we'll have more sustainable travel. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the thing. Now I'm just saying this because I think there's a lot that we can actually learn also about our neighborhoods and with the people that are left and right from us. You know, there's, this, there's this tendency to always branch out and super big, you know, but but there's, there's so much that we can already teach each other here, you know, us, mm. us today. <laughs> Yeah, I just always thought of like the excitement that someone would feel going somewhere that's like <laughs> opposite. It's like us going to the desert yeah, or something. Yeah, We're absolutely. just like, what is what this? Is this? <laughs> someone else, because like it's it's natural for me because I go there often. Yeah, but absolutely. it's like it wouldn't be natural for someone else to be like, this is amazing. Yeah. So hopefully, so I get different. to experience that. Pretty cool. Um, so what have you learned on your on this permaculture experience? Mm. What are you growing for starters? So, well, so, so we're mainly... And, sorry, yeah. before you start, yeah. can you explain what permaculture is? Ah, well, oh, I'm really... So I also have very little knowledge about it. Um, and I, I barely have a green thumb. So for me, this entire last year was just about getting to... Getting into the countryside and trying to understand trees. I do have to say was the key thing. Trying to understand olive trees because this is what was already there. So our, our main idea for the first year was just to see what do we already have and how can we sustain and keep alive what we already have, right? And then we can grow things and plant things and do things differently. And so, yeah, we have 148 olive trees. And the key key work, I think, was to, um, yeah, to maintain them, keep them alive and, and run our harvests, which are always in, in autumn, and make olive oil out of them. Mm-hmm. So we're doing that. We're also pickling some olives. And we're also making olive leaf tea, which has antiviral... A potency which i didn't know before ah. as well and actually tastes rather good so you would you wouldn't think but yeah you can you can even take them straight from the trees but it's a bit nicer when you let them dry a little bit the leaves yeah so um yeah and the idea would was just to okay so to, to deal with what we have there try to understand um what the trees need when do they need cutting when do they need um water and care when do you best leave them alone like all that kind of stuff um and then yeah the idea is to do a bit more gardening and potentially growing fruit and veg in the next years but for now it's really mainly mainly this and this is also something that i would recommend for anyone if you do move out to the countryside and start something like this and you don't have a lot of experience about it go easy you know don't try to start all of the project at once yes i'm looking at you (laughs) and uh, and try to first understand what what the climate is like this is different for us here you know than in germany what's the climate like what's the what's the nature like um what is needed with what is already there you know um yeah and um and basically then to reuse um everything that you have so do reuse um your bio trash as well and make it into compost use that um so use what is already there recycle what is already there um having to buy as little as possible onto it i would say is my little key explanation of what we're doing i'm sure there's much much more to permaculture um yeah and so yeah so that was the key the key stuff but what have i learned throughout this project it's, it's really not just um gardening or farming work it was really also living with people together in my personal space you know mm-hmm. and sharing that space and what does that really mean to share your home with potentially strangers even right we had strangers living with us 
um, and then to find a way of communicating together and living together a so closely but also be working together and also physically working and seeing that conflict arises naturally it just does you know it doesn't matter you can have the best three weeks um next day there's a conflict you know and that that's really part of it and how to navigate that so but that's maybe also the psychologist in me again and i i, I enjoyed also having these kind of communications and see what um how everyone could come together in a way you know and meet each other but it was really sometimes most of the work went into communication Mm-hmm. Um, which is so interesting to see when people come together like that and have different expectations and ideas and views for a certain place, you know. Um, and for me, I just had this experience of this was our little bubble within the Finca, but it was such an image for like the world at large, I would say. Like, how do we as human beings come together when we have different views, different expectations, different mindsets, different backgrounds, different knowledge, um, wanting to create potentially the same maybe not even (laughs) and you know it's a wonder that we can communicate at all with each other i sometimes think you know so more celebration of the moments when things do go right and when we can when we can get along you know and to see conflict as a natural part of it but obviously if that's your daily life it can also be quite stressful so Mm -hmm. it has been really like ups and downs also this year i do have to say incredible time and i would definitely do it again but also also challenging equally so yeah Yeah. because when i first started looking into this i just watched a few youtube videos of some different earthships and sustainable living how like communities and just to see what was out there and what people were doing and the actual the the sustainable living i think is just so cool you know the different things i saw is, is just amazing but then the people that were living in communities you could tell it was just like conflict because you do have people from all different walks of life trying you, to get along trying yeah. to get along and sometimes you have the 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 vibe that i was getting from some of them was that you have some people that go there often they can tend to be the kind of more hippie type of people that might be really really liberal and anti-establishment oh, right, but yeah. then there also has to be some sort of rules Absolutely. and establishment because you can't just have 10 15 people doing whatever they want yeah all the time and then it's like do we have, do we allow drugs here? Do we allow drink here? Do we allow this, that's that, right. and the other? That's and right. it's all yeah, these... this idea that uh, anarchy is for the best. I mean, I, I like the idea of it, um, but also see that full anarchy, I'm not so sure, you know. No way. And at least, I mean, you don't have, need to have a dictatorship, but you can and need some sort of common consensus, and you need to have communication about mm. that. Otherwise, it definitely goes goes off, you know. And again, also also here, I think you also need to be able to be um to be open for change you know and to also see that as a process but you need to always have like a starting ground you need to have some sort of philosophy some sort of maybe guidelines so we specifically agreed on not calling it house rules or something that can only be broken you know Mm. but something like guidelines information about the thinker information on how we live here so hoping that when you give people information they can take it in ask questions and deal with that and then obviously also for us to be open for any sort of feedback implement that and then see how we go and yeah, and you need to strike that balance, I think, between having some sort of like common ground and saying this this is who we are and this is how we want to live here and this is how we see this this thing unfolding, but equally so also being able to to adapt to that a little bit. And that's that's a constant balance. But I think for everyone, right? Like who am I? What do I want to do? What is my, my private space? What is my ground rules for myself? And when am I able to like diverge from that and learn and change and adapt, you know? It's yeah. really quite like I mean, our everyday life. I'm assuming, but yeah, here it was really unfolding in this in this communal space. Yeah, because yeah, I, it's such, it's such a nice concept, but 
it's so complicated and I think it needs very strong leadership. Mm. It, it needs very, very, very well thought out and certain types of people to be able to do it. I went, sorry, sorry I went to visit um, a community, I think it was last year, up um, about an hour and a half way up the mountain somewhere. And, um, you know, anyone can go and stay there. And you could just bring a tent and put your right. tent there or whatever. We went there because we knew some people that were going to go there. And um, one of them was like DJing because it's like events they were running. But the idea is, you know, you go there with your tent and you help out and you do this, that and the other. And But you can live there and stay for as long as you want. And as long as you help out, you'll be fed. Um, and, you know, everyone was relatively, everyone was pleasant. You know, everyone was pleasant. And there were people, I would say, most people were in their 30s or 40s. Um, but then there was one guy who got there and he was from Syria and he was 26, I think he was. And he'd actually walked from Syria to Germany. Oh, it wow. took him two years to get there. And he, he'd been in the Syrian army, uh, like the, the rebel army. And he'd been shot like six times and he had like bullets lodged in his arm and he'd lost the use of one of his hands. But he, he was obviously... Like before he told me all this, he was one of those people you look, I looked at him and he's kind of vacant, you know, like behind the eyes, the eyes are all glazed and vacant. And you can tell that that person has seen horrible things. Mm. And then he started telling me all the, all the stuff that happened. And he was obviously very destabilized and he was into drugs. So that the owner of this community, she was like in her probably seventies and was still smoking a lot of weed. So she allowed that. But then this guy is uh, like taking other drugs and acid and weed and all, and everything else. And I think that he sort of disrupted the whole kind of balance that they'd got going on because he was obviously too destabilized. And, you know, if, if you have really vulnerable people like that that turn up, do you throw them away and say, I'm sorry, yeah. you're not right. You, you can't come that's here. Right. And she let him in because her, her idea was that, you know, to, to let inclusivity for yeah. everyone. But then it kind of, it has a knock on effect in everybody else's life. And it it's like, super challenging question. Hey, and it's like, is this the right thing? And it's like, mm. also, is it really, um, a good idea to be taking on board somebody who probably needs psychiatric, like psychiatric yeah. help? Yeah. When you don't have someone like that that's there, and yeah. then I just start thinking like, whoa, this whole, you know, if I want to try and run one of these communities in the future, man, I need I need twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean, I need twenty years to, to get this like sort of clear leadership, which has been so my experience as well. I, I obviously have taken on a little bit the the, the role of, of leadership within our little group, let's say, uh, or when we were when there was times when we were a group, um, and it's a extremely uncomfortable, I think, mm -hmm. to to. to <laughs> To like take on that role and but on the other hand you realize it kind of needs it obviously also for anyone who is in a place longer it kind of just makes sense they know their way around they know a little more so there's yeah talking about hierarchies from the yeah. beginning there is it, it will naturally come a little bit like that um and you also need someone to have like an overview you know on what is necessary yeah. what is needed what, what is the next it's this idea of like just come and help out yeah okay but what am i helping with and what tools and what do i need what's my knowledge so there's so much that needs to be communicated it's insane so i've kind of naturally taken on that role i've not always enjoyed it i do think i have some qualities where that can work quite nicely but it's it's, it's also not very it's not a very um uh, 
um, how do you say that? It's not always met with a lot of gratefulness, that kind of job, yeah. you know, being the one saying like, hey, today we really need to start then or we should really do this, or, you know. Um, anyway, so that's a little bit about leadership. And the other the other question of full inclusivity, we also had this idea. We were saying, yeah, we, we obviously want to be fully inclusive, especially also for people with any sort of like mental health, bodily um, um, abilities or disabilities and, and equally so like gender expression and yeah, interests, just full, full exclusivity, except, and this is where we made our exception, except for fascists. <laughs> it's really like, that is an absolute no-go. Um, and we're going to go into dialogue with anyone else, but that's that's just a no. <laughs> so God, I, I do so think I'm saying this. <laughs> exactly. No, no, I'm just saying this because you do, you do need to set some sort of framework. I think full, full inclusivity is also a little bit of a myth. It's a wonderful intention. Mm. I think this is what is important. It's a great intention to have. And to keep saying, like, I want to be as open as possible, but you do need to also check back, okay, but what can I actually handle? And what am I able to handle today? You know, and this could be about certain political ideas, but it could also be about um, about some, yeah, abilities or disabilities that people have. And that doesn't need to be about judgment, or it also doesn't need to be about exclusivity and saying you are not allowed here. That's not something that you need to say. But I think it is possible to say at the moment here, as what we are and what we're standing for, we don't have space for you, unfortunately. Yeah, and maybe you can try this or that. You. Exactly I'm, right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Same as going for a job interview. It's like, yeah, it just doesn't sorry. fit. And you seem like a nice person, but not the right place. And also for realizing you. that a no, I think this is something about communication. We've talked about this earlier that a no doesn't have to be negative. A no can actually be really calming to say to say to someone, no, not right now, or no, not for me, can be really clear and really, mm -hmm. really good. And it can be absolutely communicated in a in a in a non toxic way. You know. Yeah. And so we also had come across a couple of like tendencies and things where we were saying like this is, we have something like red flags, you know? So then when certain behavior pops up, it's a red flag for us. We communicate it. And if it happens again, then, then you just have to leave, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. An example is we have a very, very anxious dog and not everyone gets along with dogs. I can read them well and that's okay. So we give everyone the chance to like get to know him a little bit. He's very small and uh, doesn't do anything bad except for barking. But um, yeah, and so one thing for instance is you absolutely not allowed to tease the dog because dogs don't understand teasing and if someone does this because you know he's quite reactive to that um yeah you can do it once but you cannot do it twice and then that would be a no-go and that's just something we have figured out for ourselves you mm -hmm. know that's just a red flag for us where we say this is not something that we want to tolerate because for us um this dog is living with us and he's the weaker one so please do not <laughs> tease the dog you know like you wouldn't tease a child or so um so i do think that that's super important to have some of these like ground um ground guidelines you know on how you want to live together otherwise if it's just completely free um it can work for a while but i think you will always meet your challenging point as well yeah 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 super interesting i think that like with my island project that i navigating my family and trying to get everyone to work together that will be 95% of the challenge. Yes. I think that actually creating the whole thing, 5% of the, the yeah. difficulty, you know, like not saying it's going to be easy. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying my family do not see eye to eye on things and trying to get them to see eye to eye. And also, because obviously I, I would never be the one giving orders, but it, yeah. ultimately I'm the one with the vision That's and right, the idea. Right, yeah, yeah. So like, and you they all have, that, you, know? you know, they all have, they're all, they all have very distinct skills like uh, Liam Neeson and Taken, um, <laughs> they all have very distinct skills and they, you know, they would be individually great people mm. to do the, the jobs that they're going to hopefully yeah. want to do. 
but then getting them to agree on anything the only way it can be done is democratically mm. you know like right let's put this idea forward vote on it if you lose yeah shut your mouth <laughs> that's but it it's mm. funny that you bring up family because this is something that i've also been realizing that while we've been living like obviously more in this communal mindset i actually don't call it a community i could i guess but i'm just calling it a communal mindset idea um there was a lot of strangers and friends right so not family members but we very quickly have come up with this term think of family because it always felt like becoming a family as soon as people were there for a couple of days it kind of naturally developed there and something that i've been realizing is of course it can be challenging to live with strangers but we are forgetting it's challenging to live with our families oh, mostly yeah. everyone has some sort of story within their families where people you know are difficult or there's conflict or whatever so also to not just think like oh within families everything has to run just super smoothly it doesn't it's no. just not what naturally happens any sort of human beings coming together there will be conflict and the question is just how do we want to meet it and face it you know and to not forget while we have talked about so much about conflict i'm really sorry um to also realize that there's also a lot of beauty that comes about coming together 100%. you know within the family within strangers by being inclusive by equally also saying sometimes hey this is not for me to realize like the vast capacity of abilities and knowledge that we do have when we chip in together and co-create together is also insane so like the stuff i've learned in the past year by just people coming to us sharing where they're from sharing their their cultures their backgrounds their knowledge their art that whatever it is they're doing was incredible really incredible and equally so us obviously teaching what we know um yeah so i do want to say that as well as not just always oh, talk about all the conflict i just want to move this this chair because it's irritating yeah do it that's it Oh, now it's double there. <laughs> yeah, that's it. There we go. Do now we can it? see the logo, yeah. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, no, the thing with family is that it's a little bit more tense because we're just slight extensions of each other. You know, it's like we've all got the similarities and then we all just irritate each other in the perfect way because it's like we're all just little, we're all just, fingers on the same hand yeah. you know so it's like family just irritates you in a way that other people just don't um but it's it is beautiful and i've experienced i've experienced something slight slightly similar in in my flat i've lived in this flat for three years and um i've always like rented out the rooms in it and so i've had in the past three years i think i, I counted the other day i can't remember what it was like between 20 and 30 nationalities wow in my flat just constantly churning in and out in and out because two of the rooms are pretty shit so they attract people who are only in here for a short term or like students coming for a semester because it's cheap um one of the rooms is nice well two of the rooms are nice two of the rooms are shit but and it's just learning the differences between about people Crazy, and cultural differences um you know male and female differences and just Oh, the different people that come in and everybody brings something to the table and every every person teaches you something well often to me it teaches me something about myself yeah. because once i realized the things that irritate you about other people are what you don't like about yourself then all these people that irritate in me i'm like god you are an irritating person like yeah, you, you need to you sort yourself out it, you're no? projecting out yeah, yeah, all the stuff that you don't like i'm like yeah. really these most of these people are not doing things that are that irritating yeah i'm the irritating one that's getting irritated well by i think it would be things. beautiful if you would realize these moments of irritation and trigger to see 
aha, there's something that I'm learning about myself, but equally so I can obviously share that with you and then we can see again where we meet, you know, mm. because maybe there's something that could be taken on as feedback for the other person because they might be boundary crossing. They might really, truly be. But Sometimes, equally yeah. so, it could be also something where you realize, hey, I think I'm actually overreacting here. You know, what is this? What, I, what do I see in this that, you know, I cannot be cool with it. And, but, and to always like meet that fine line, you know. But there were certain moments as well where with, with certain people where I had to, play that kind of like authority role which mm. i don't want to be doing and being like you know they're doing disrespectful things yeah. or bringing people back when i'm telling asking them not to and just stupid things like that and like during covid and like where there's restrictions and i'm like i don't want to get in trouble because of you like don't yeah. do these things and then it's like putting in this authority role and just creates this barrier between you and these like That's true, people yeah. in there and it, it's in the end but i just kick the people out but i do think in general like it, yeah you're also saying it like the authority role right and i have a, an equally kind of like body language is like oh i don't want to be in this role but but also to realize sometimes it is good to step up you oh, know yeah. like my example is always if you see racial slurs on the street someone shouting out racial slurs you, you better step up you know you, you better go and say hey this is not okay you know i don't want to please don't do this this is not this is a no-go so like there is moments where you, where you need to step up either for yourself or for others or for a place you know that you're responsible for or a dog or whatever it is that you you yeah you take some responsibility for it you know and for this world that we create I guess. What if though? Because I always think about this like if you go up if a man shouts a racial slur and you go up to tell that man mm. not to do it that man is extremely unlikely to punch you mm -hmm. and cause violence. If I were to walk up to some a, someone of my a similar age and size, yeah. that is likely to cause yeah, a violent event. Yeah and one person is going to end up getting hurt yeah for so sure. in that case do you think it's a good idea well, i always think like i mean this is my training from a criminal uh, psychology background where the idea was always obviously we um want to help guiding people and we need to take on responsibility for what is happening within our institution but own safety always goes first yeah. so do assess and for that it needs mindfulness you know you need to be able to assess okay where am i at who else is with me do i feel safe yes or no right and then to see okay can i step up do i go with someone else can i can i do this differently can i you know call someone to help or whatever it is but definitely not to just turn away i would say you know have that moment of assessment of okay what can i do here to make the situation better fairer or whatever it is because a man um, challenging yeah. a man in that case is, is often yeah an act of course of war. i totally understand yeah yeah, yeah. Is often... i have the inclination to ask whether we actually recorded this <laughs> yeah it's recording okay great fantastic well, <laughs> at some nervous. point i was like i was like maybe we just start talking and just oh no that would i would die um, <laughs> well, it would have been a lovely conversation yeah, a very nice conversation <laughs> and i do have to say it yeah, just came out um so, okay yeah. so now i would like to move on to the pansexual polyamory mm. part it's something that pansexuality is something i've been trying to get my head around recently um because originally I just thought it was pretty similar to bisexual. Um, then I was reading about it, and from my understanding, it's bisexual, but pansexuals like to make it clear that they are not discriminating against trans non-binary people. So it's basically just saying... I could be into anyone. Could be into anyone. Right. That's always how I explain but, it, yeah. But then my confusion came from how do you know you could be into anyone mm. can you answer me that mm. how do you know how yeah. do you know good one i mean 
I guess with anything within sexuality or gender, it's something that you kind of develop again, self understanding, right? Through experience and then self understanding. Um I yeah, so I would say I just have this strong feeling and inclination that I do think I could be technically into anyone and I have also fallen for or crushed on or loved several different human beings in all shapes, forms, sizes and so on. So for me it just became this very like natural feeling of, oh, I think I am more attracted to the human being um that is in front of me and not necessarily only their gender or their gender expression so i'm for instance not only into men you know um um cis men for instance um do you have so, a preference um mm, i do crush a little easier on um on on, on men i would say um yeah, exactly. Um, still happens to me, and I'm I'm really very much also at that point in my life where I'm wondering. So so much of that is, for instance, just inclination and attraction, and how much of that is still what has just been told to me. You know, like obviously. Um, but but I just know, and I have yeah. So I know because it has happened to me, but I also know because it's my deep inner feeling that I um uh, can love people in any way, shape, or form. And would hence label myself as pansexual. Also saying it, not using the term bisexual, which could also be used, of course, to just be more inclusive in that sense. So the definition that you gave there earlier is exactly right. Um, yeah. And so I always describe it as I could be technically into anyone. That's that's how I say it. And the polyamory aspect comes into it. I mean, polyamory and open relationships are going a little bit hand in hand. They're, they're also quite distinct. So polyamory is just this idea that you do have the belief that you can be in several loving, committed, romantic relationships at the same time, right? And I have lived that way already. Uh, I'm not saying that it's always my preferred choice, but I just know that I can live that way. And I do think there is a lot of fruitfulness in having an openness within relationships, not for everyone. And I'm not saying it's the key. And I definitely think everyone should find that out for themselves, what they want and not want, what they feel, um, yeah like they enjoy or are capable or whatever. Um, but for me, it has been quite a journey to understand that. Um, and this openness in my relationship has come much more naturally to me and has brought a lot of challenges, of course, but also a lot of fruitfulness and has often brought me closer together to my committed partners, actually. So going very much against the stereotype of, oh, once you open a relationship, it's it's doomed anyways, you know, um, and realizing, no, it, as soon as we've opened it and we have been actively talking about other people or seeing other people and letting them also into our lives, um, it has only made that committed relationship that I already had stronger because we had that communication about it. Um, and I feel like it's it's just quite natural to let that in because I do believe that we are always constantly also attracted to other people. You know, it just naturally happens to us. And um, what happens if we can talk about that with our partners? And I think it's quite powerful, actually, if we can about it with our partners yeah and so with the pansexuality like because i've been talking about um with with friends recently about attraction in general mm. you know like just walking down the street and you're attracted to a certain person so would you say that just walking down the street your level of attraction to people is high I suppose you can't compare it to anyone oh, in else general, to in human general to, ah. to, to human beings because mm. for example so 
I would say that for me, my level of attraction to people when walking down the street is relatively low, but I can very quickly become attracted to someone from their speech. Ah, there you go. Yeah, I have the same. So their appearance is important to me, of course, but even someone who I know is beautiful mm-hmm. um, to you, to me, yeah. or what? No, someone who I know is beautiful, kind of objectively, stereotypically, stereotypically, mm, objectively, right. and who I know many people would find beautiful. Right. I'm not interested mm. in them, and just from their looks, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's if everyone feels that way or not. I don't know. Yeah. But I just. I just know that from being around males, my male, like other male friends, they seem to be much more focused and excited by, by by people walking past, you Mm. know, it seems to be much more stimulating for them. Whereas I'm more just like, meh, don't really care. And then I start talking to someone and I'll have like a little connection with that person. And you're like, oh, cool. And then someone who maybe I didn't even think was that attractive when they start Mm. talking, I'm like, oh, that person's really attractive. And so it's like it it changes through speech and it can work in the reverse. Someone who's like stereotypically <laughs> like beautiful and then, you know, I can tell objectively that they're beautiful and then they start talking and I'm like, no, mm. you're not beautiful. Sorry. You're beautiful to me. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I would always say that I, yeah, I do have the feeling that I can be attracted to many different uh, things about human people, uh, human, humans in general. So I would say uh, of course, I do have also attraction towards certain outer physical appearances. And again, I think we all do. And we fall on that spectrum, <laughs> you know, on being very much highly on the attracted to the, um, appearance or just a little less. But I have that. But I equally also have, um, I think, intelligence or some sort of like, yeah, maybe speech or communication when people can do that really well. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Mm. I equally have that with humor. Um um so when a person is funny to me and in a certain way and it meets me on a day that i'm open to that i can be very much attracted by that Mm, i also made the experience that i'm very attracted to people that can surprise me so (laughs) 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 wow (laughs) just fell for you there no no and more surprise me as in like i i look at them or see them or i even talk to them and i have already made my mind up about them you know which is still something that i do we all do it all the time and i feel like i have these like certain um yeah like almost analysis about that person and then they surprise me with maybe doing a job that is completely something i didn't expect or they're you know educating themselves around uh, around a topic that i wouldn't have thought so or i don't know they have a certain diet that yeah doesn't matter yeah so any sort of like um trait or or interest that they're then showing that i wouldn't have just thought about while getting to know them you know so i, re- I really do like this and i do like when people break this a little open mm. maybe that's also the pansexuality idea for me it's just to like stretch all of those stereotypes and norms and ideas and look at the interesting curiosity aspect about about people so yeah that's that's something that i'm or lately also i'm very fascinated um by yeah and people can surprise me because it also challenges me and my perception of them of course right because i also do it of course we all mm. categorize and label and, yeah. yeah it is pretty cool when people are like that because i I'm, i also do the same thing i'm analyzing people and i'm like right i've got you figured out yeah right. and then they and then they say something i'm like oh, oh there you go right. <laughs> it's new <laughs> i was wrong <laughs> yeah yeah that's right and right. i i personally have just come around really really enjoying that you know um yeah so maybe that's that's an aspect of it i would say Mm. Oh. 
And you see, the polyamory thing is something that a few years ago, I was in a relationship, a long distance one, and um, we decided that we were going to be like polyamorous and have an open relationship. And it was all, it was a stupid idea because we were long distance and we hadn't like solidified our actual relationship first, hadn't spent enough time together. So it wasn't a good idea, but I started like researching into polyamory, reading a few books about how to overcome jealousy mm -hmm. and different things like that. And there was a part of me that's like, okay, this makes total sense. Polyamory, you know, we all are attracted to people. We all, we never stop being attracted to people just because we're in a relationship. That's right, yeah. um, and, you know, why not explore that? And obviously mm. it's quite a nice idea to have the thought of having like three girlfriends or something. Just like, <laughs> you know, like it's just, it's an exciting thought. So I started exploring that, but then that relationship ended and I got, I started a new relationship and then that's strictly monogamous. Um, and then my thinking sort of changed back and I was like, the amount of effort that it would be for me to try and manage various different relationships, the amount of effort it takes me to manage one, yeah. um, to keep one person happy and, you know, build a life with one person, then to start mixing in other people. Yeah. It wouldn't be possible with this anyway. Like we, we agreed it's never yeah. going to happen, but I just thought it, it's a lot of effort, it was a lot. It's a huge yeah, amount. Sure. It's a huge amount of sure. effort. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I always think that in, in my case, it would detract from the, what I don't know. It's like it, for me, the it would focus, almost be like the focus, you know, which is mm -hmm. like that joint mission, that joint goal that I'm going to devote because you have to devote a lot of time to that person, yeah, of course. Yeah. And the more time you devote, probably the stronger you'll grow. Yeah. But we're busy. We've got stuff to do. Yeah. And it's like That's you devote good. time. And, and for me, it is also when that can of worms was open, the polyamory thing, then it was like, you know, I was like, the world's my oyster. And mm -hmm. I'm just like scanning around like, well, I could sleep <laughs> with you. I could sleep with you. Like, and it was like. Uh, it was just about the sleeping. Or something. I don't know if connecting. Yeah, it's true. But then you can connect with someone and that's a friendship. Mm. And then it stops being a friendship when you sleep with them. But there's so much more between that. No, there's other intimacy as well. Like you talked about jealousy earlier. Like I, experience that I've made. I am actually less jealous when my partner sleeps with someone. Just like actual um, sexual interaction. Than when they have this like amazing, clearly intimate, extremely funny connection with someone, you know. That, by the way, I personally think might be attractive. So, like, also my jealousy goes rather in the way that when I think that person has some sort of traits that are attractive that maybe I don't hold, I get jealous. So, mm. it's this, this whole funkiness. So, I think, yeah, exploring your own jealousy and your own, like, attraction is just is just fascinating and super nice when you can, like, realize, oh, this is something that works for me, this not, you know. No, but I'm just saying, like, that has been something that came up for me that I realized, like, for me, it's less, it's less jealousy around the sexual inter intercourse that my partner might have with someone and and yeah i could be easily i could be jealous of uh them having a new uh, best friend you know all yeah, of a sudden yeah. they're doing all their things they have the insider they have all their fun they have a lot of focus and time and energy that they spend with each other and and you're a little bit out of the question so i think something that came up for me or like the way i explain polyamory is that i think we all are living it already mm -hmm. because we all have several meaningful relationships well, I really, at least I hope everyone has, right? Yeah. Everyone hopefully has at least one family member they're really close to, at least one good friend, potentially a partner, and so on and so on, yeah? So in a way, that already is a sort of polyamorous idea because the idea for me, the bottom line, is to have several committed, meaningful, loving relationships at the same time. All right, 
And then we're just adding the sexual level to it. Okay, well, so with whom do I want to actually have sexual intercourse, right? Um, but just, just to like broaden the idea of like, we're all already doing that and we are spending time and energy on all these different people. And I do agree that within committed sexual relationships, it can be a lot of effort and again, a lot of communication that you need to do. And I totally understand when people say this is just not for me, you know? Yeah, and it's yeah. also part of the reason why I would at the moment say, I do have polyamorous inclinations and I've lived it before and I understand. Uh, and I, I do think I understand it and I might live it again. So I'm not closing myself up to it. But at the moment, I'm actually rather living in an open relationship because mm -hmm. I do not have that time, energy or space right now for a fully committed sexual partner on the side, right? Mm -hmm. E.g. But, um, but still, that doesn't mean that 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 I'm saying that's out of the question. And so that's something that I would find so lovely or beautiful that um, we just allow these different types of relationship uh, ideas to coexist, you know? And, and I would never say to someone who says, I want to be monogamous, I would never say, you're having it wrong. Absolutely not. If someone can tell me authentically, this is what I'm living and I love it and this is how I want to do it, I'm like, that's amazing. But then just also allow myself to maybe live it differently and do not judge my type of relationship as I equally wouldn't judge someone who lives in a monogamous one, right? Yeah. And this goes with, yeah, with, with sexuality, with relationship style, gender expression, all of that. Just, just, just have everyone figure themselves out and let them be, you know, while they're not harming each other. Um, so yeah, so this, this is a little bit like that, what, how I usually explain it. I also had this friend of mine, which, who really, <laughs> I loved her. She said, uh, I'm polyamorous. And then usually the question is, oh, so how many partners do you have? And she goes, I'm single. Mm. And I was like, wait, what? And she's like, yeah, I am polyamorous because I can feel that I can live that. But currently I'm just not seeing anyone. And I I love that. You know, this is this is the perfect explanation for me for it. Um, yeah, And I've always said, like, look, I, I do think um, I can align with this idea of polyamory. And it was very hard for me to figure that out as a as a young female i have slept with lots of people obviously i got the slut shaming and all of that and i always wondered like what well, is something wrong with me you know that i can connect also for instance sexually with so many different people and potentially at the same time like what is wrong about me and then i got this comment from another good friend who said maybe you just have a big heart and maybe you can just crush very easily and maybe that's that's also a strength and it helped me to know that there's something out there like open relationships and polyamory that's why i'm really um really close to that idea and and do like talking about it but again, I would never say that that's the only way forward. And I would never say that I will forever live that way. Ask me maybe in five years and I'm in, maybe in a happy monogamous relationship. Could mm -hmm. be. So I'm also not closing myself up to that, if that makes sense. Yeah. 100%. And that's that why... was a I... lot of explaining, sorry. No, no, that's why, <laughs> that's why I asked originally about the, the, do you, the, your levels of attraction. Because when I started thinking, well, is it, is polyamory because you are so easily able to be attracted to someone mm. that it's just naturally flows into well i can't contain my mm -hmm. attraction just to one person because my level of attraction is so high right. that i have all okay. these people around me that are stimulating me right, yeah. in this way that i can't contain that and i need that to be spread out yeah you know and, and that, communicate it with my partner and communicate with yeah. my partner because yeah. these feelings are strong yeah, like for example i you know, it's it's possible in my way that when I meet people, I talk to them and I feel an attraction to that person, but it's yeah. not sexual. I feel an attraction to that person and I'm just like, this person makes me feel nice. Yeah. And that, oh, I think good. that's yeah, an attraction. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's um, right. And it's usually, like you say, because of the humor, but because of the um, things they're saying or just because they are the a nice person, feel. the way they yeah. make you feel. And then, but I don't want to have sex with them. 
and it's like, <laughs> okay. and that's good. And that's very useful for me <laughs> because otherwise it would be annoying and it would probably be like, it would make my life more difficult mm. because if obviously if you're in a, what you've decided to be a monogamous relationship and you're being constantly really attracted to all to these people else, and you're yeah. like, oh God, like it would not, it wouldn't be pleasant. Yeah, You'd right. feel super restricted. And um, in, like in my case, I, I know that for me, my path to, I don't like to use the word happiness, but my path to Fulfilled. fulfillment, mm. content, contention, um, and satisfaction is through discipline. So mm. for me, I try to live my life in a, in the most disciplined way possible with everything from food, alcohol, drugs, sex, everything like that. And like not give in to the temptations of things That's that for me beautiful. is how I know that I need to stay. And look, now you're making because... me so happy because now you're doing exactly what we're talking about. Like this idea of like, look, I know myself. I've went through this. And what is really good for me is discipline. And I love to hear that because for me, it's a little bit the opposite. Like I struggle with perfectionism and controlling and a little bit too much discipline in a mm. way, you know, and like really controlling myself. And what has happened for me is to allow myself to connect and be more open and connect with others has given me so much joy and in a way happiness and fulfillment and to be with the partner that I have a vision with and a future with hopefully and and to have that commitment but equally so allow myself to have all these other connections if wanted and to have the communication style in place that we can talk about this has been just so 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 nice for me and that's what I mean right like meet someone else that says look I figured out I would like to do it this way and someone else saying and I want to do it this way and to coexist is like ah oh, makes me very happy so I'm so happy that you can say that you know yeah. and that we can also both see each other's relationship style as beautiful then you know and what matters for me is just that someone can authentically say i'm happy within my relationships and may these be sexual or not sometimes i also really don't care you know i'm just happy with who i am and with the relationships i hold and that's amazing you know because i think good, that I always, good job <laughs> i think that i always you know i i always try to find love through sex and i think it's you know so people do that in their 20s and they try and sleep with as many or you know whatever age but they try and sleep with as many people as possible and try and find that something that's missing through the sex and then when you get into a loving relationship and someone's giving you all that love the rest of that stops being important Absolutely. to me anyway and it's like then i don't feel the need let's not confuse love and sex i think no it's so, so important yeah but i, I yeah, but i right. think that that you know like trying to find love through sex is not a great idea yeah. because like sex with strangers i mean like yeah. it's not in my case, anyway, you know, like Tinder, just like, bah, 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 like nonstop. Like, every time I went to a new place, like, like trying to find yeah, people or whatever. It's also an addiction. Eh? It's a total 100% addiction. I think that's the part that's the discipline part yeah, that yeah. coming clean, you know, for me, I couldn't let myself slip back into that yeah, because it is so, the rush from that is so strong yeah. that it's like, it just lures you back in and so, that for me I would think it would give me nothing yeah for sure like I I definitely struggled so I did, never had an official diagnosis around this but then self-analyzing myself mm. <laughs> we all do self-diagnosis <laughs> exactly. from a psychologist though is that an official is that an official no, diagnosis no it's not it's not <laughs> No, it's not. But like knowing myself, I definitely had tendencies towards uh, I would, what I would call sex addiction for sure. And as exactly as you explained it in my early 20s, confusing sex and love, confusing that validation with um, 
yeah, being validated within myself instead of actually taking a quest of, of validating myself first and then connecting with others. And uh, yeah, as you say, partially maybe that's also the young age, it's the early 20s. It's again what we're also told and the apps are only making it easier. But I definitely had like an inclination towards too much focus and energy went into into some of these apps and, and those connections. And I'm I'm okay having gone through that for sure. I'm also really happy that I went went through that and kind of now can talk about it and can also say that although for instance I live still a rather open or poly uh, relationship style I've become way more conscious about sex specifically you know and and it is really about that spectrum that you were talking about of like okay so whom who do I like who do I want to be around with and whom am I attracted to and then that choice of okay so who do I actually want to have sex with and does the other person also want that and like where are we at you know that's there's so many steps and so many spectrums again involved in all of this and um yeah and for me it has been just an amazing journey to really through i have to have to say obviously therapy and also like mindfulness practices to just make these more conscious choices about myself and double check like okay yes there's attraction and that's wonderful beauty has just entered my life a meditation teacher always says i'm just grateful that beauty has entered your life you know and that's amazing and i can feel that and now do i really want to follow up on that you know and yeah depending on your relationship style that you're living and the communication that you have and to just be a little bit more conscious about this and it's helped me a lot you know and I sometimes get this comment of like well I was like sex addiction problems in the past but also polyamory so are you just still living it out and I'm saying no absolutely not because I'm making a conscious choice about it now you know but um still not limiting myself to monogamy uh, just because we we really like it that way me and my partner you know and this yeah. this is something that I was thinking about like the the potential link between attraction levels like like you say like everything's on a spectrum so let's call attraction a spectrum yeah. so like attraction levels sex addiction polyamory mm. do, do you think that they are linked mm. no not necessarily actually i do think there's a link between attraction levels and maybe more ease with polyamorous relationships so i do understand your theory mm. there it's actually a good theory you know saying okay so if people are more easily attracted to people, maybe it's nicer for them to be in a relationship that can hold that. I would agree with that. And I would also agree with the fact that I just was way easier attracted when I was younger and I really enjoyed that. And it's a little less right now. I'd also just be the place where I'm in right now. I don't know. Um, but I still enjoy having that openness. And by the way, I also enjoy that for my partner to have. I want my partner to have that open view, to connect with other people, although that is still challenging for me sometimes. But I really, mm -hmm. honestly with the love that I have for him, I want him to make those experiences too, you know? So I think there's a connection there. Sex addiction, however, I do think it's just it's just a type of addiction and you can either fall for it or not, you know, like you could have any other. And I really don't think that polyamory, for instance, has anything to do with having a lot of sex, for instance, or being addicted to sex. It, it's really just allowing potentially several partners into your life, you know? But again, they don't have to be sexual. You can be asexual and polyamorous as well. But so. what do you think um have you had addiction problems with any in other areas of your life no i wouldn't say so so no. what do you think that what do you think that the why do you think you were so strongly interested in sex then oh. well okay so i mean my my again my analysis of that is um i had i had quite a, a i had a physical disease when i was a when i was younger um quite quite handicapped in that sense and i was quite bullied for that in primary school um i am still trying to work through that also with my therapist right now um who thinks that this is really important to work through and i always thought but i'm done <laughs> with that topic but here we are going through it again 
Um, no, but I am aware that I, yeah, I had this time, really prime time in primary school where I was bullied quite a bit for my physical appearance. So that meant that I really struggled with accepting myself physically. And then growing into teenagehood when, yeah, it's all about crushing and loving and being attracted to others. I had very, very little, little low, and very low self-esteem regarding that theme. And it took a long while to pick that up. And then obviously when you're then fed with attraction from the outside, um, and that validation, it does it does feel mm. nice, you know, it's just like, ooh, there's like my wound healing. And then in my early 20s, I just confused that. I had just confused validation from strangers with healing that wound that came through um, physical disability and bullying when I was younger, you know. Um, and then I was craving it too much. And that's mm. that's how I can tell that I think there was some sort of addictive tendency because I was overly craving it. I spent too much time and energy getting that. Um, I was disregarding other people's feelings. So, for instance, at that time, disregarding um, what my uh, partner wanted at that time. Um, and so I was hurting really them, me, myself, others. It was not, it was just unhealthy, just toxic, you know. Um, and then I had to just also realize, like, I'm, this is, this is not what is bringing me fulfillment because this is the idea, right? Like, if I would just drink more, if I would just sleep with more people, is that going to hit your happiness button? It's not. And that moment, I think, has to come at some point, realizing this is only making me more miserable. So I want to A, step away from it, and B, if I do want to start involving in that behavior again, I want to do it more consciously and, mm -hmm. and happily through, like, amazing teachers, great friends, amazing partners, therapists, all that. I was able to, like, see that pattern, you know, and now I can talk about it and can say, hey, I kind of want to disentangle that a bit more. Um, in my case, that doesn't mean that I refrain from sex completely, but I, like, want to be more conscious about it. Yeah. Yeah. That oh, makes sense. Makes total sense. Mm. Yeah, like I know that in my in my case, it, it, it was it is searching for that validation. If you don't feel nice about yourself, and then someone sleeps with you, that's great validation. Yeah. It's, yeah. And then it's but like it, I think it can be. It depends also on that person and the sex you have, right? Like, because not just sex, right? Like having having sex can also be again on such a spectrum. It can be loving. It can be cute. It can be forceful like there's a lot there so just sleeping with someone is also not one-on-one -on -one a hard validation check you know this is something that i'd also realized like i'd been sleeping with lots of people and some were really beautiful experiences but others in hindsight i was like that was not healthy for me you know <laughs> like that was not good so um yeah so i just yeah sorry i just wanted to stop you there saying like oh yeah sex, sex it, it immediately means validation it really doesn't you know it can and it can be very healing and it can be loving and great and wonderful doing it with a partner, fantastic you know with a partner or a stranger it could be amazing but it can also be um really disruptive you know mm. it is it's the most intimate you can let someone into your space so of course i would always say now of course i want to be conscious about that choice you know yeah yeah very interesting um so i think that we'll wrap it up here we've yeah. been two hours now i think we've wow. covered uh <laughs> meaty topics and i think we've gone into some nice depth mm -hmm. um so i always end this with words of wisdom mm -hmm. what are your words of wisdom sophia mm, after everything we talked about today it doesn't have to be about everything today just in general if you were mm -hmm. sending out some words of wisdom to someone listening what would they be just for the next couple of days try to wake up in the morning feel your heart and tell yourself you're amazing i got you i love you try to do that try to do that for a little while and if you do it for longer even better you <laughs> that heard it here be first. <laughs> do that and 
then you will be as awesome as Sophia is. <laughs> um, so I also have one little final thing where I will give you a little gift. Oh, right. Wrapped in a white plastic bag. I love that. It's a Quest for Wisdom oh, t-shirt. Wow, that's amazing, actually. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I only had medium and extra large, oh, so I gave you a medium. Great, Hopefully that great. was it. And so, yeah, no, you, can have, you can have the plastic bag if oh, you'd like to carry it. Thank you. <laughs> thank um, you so much. I love chatting Oh, with and you. <clears throat> while I love chatting, this is a great chat. Time went so quickly. Um, oh, some people waving. Mm. <laughs> Hello. Um, <laughs> so where can, so we didn't speak about it today. Maybe oh. we'll have you on again. But um, you are also a poet, spoken word poet. Uh, where can people find you? Oh, yes. Um, yeah, we touched upon poetry very shortly that's okay um currently only through instagram um i am also working on a website and more more pages to find me on but currently on instagram and it would be so and the number four so and the number four dot poesia yes p-o-e-s-i-a yes exactly um and explain to people why it's so four because i love <laughs> yeah. this so i am german and the number four in german is fear and when I was a child, I actually spelled my name that way. So I wrote oh. my name S O and the number four, Fear, Sophia. And just before I turned five, I told my mom, Mom, tomorrow I'll, I'll be called Sophun, so five. <laughs> and she was like, Why would you think that? And then I showed her that how I spelled my name S O four. And she's like, Oh, honey, you got that. You got that wrong. No. <laughs> but I love it. So I still sign, sign my art like that. So it's S O and the number four, point poesia, Sophia poesia. Perfect um thank you so much this has been amazing hopefully we'll have you on again in the future um do you have anything exciting coming up in 2023 Ooh, i am going to complete my yoga teacher training which i'm very excited Ooh. about and i am um, going to teach at the autonoma university here ah. i'm going to get back into teaching mindfulness seminar together with a very good friend of mine which i'm super excited about and i think i'm also going to travel a little I have been a lot out in one place. And mm. Very exciting. So we'll catch up back in 2023 yeah. with some new exciting news and wisdom from Sophia. <laughs> Give me a hug. Yeah. <laughs> Awkward hug. <laughs> Let's go. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Farewell. Be kind to yourself. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Quest for Wisdom podcast with your host, Connor Monaghan. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to support the show, then please like it, subscribe, and leave a review on whichever platform you are using. This small act is a massive help and is hugely appreciated. You can find more information about all of our guests on thequestforwisdom.com and follow us at thequestforwisdom on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for exciting updates. We also have a Patreon account for anyone who would like to contribute towards the running of the show. Finally, I would like to thank the Comedy Clubhouse in Barcelona for allowing us to record here and for their ongoing support. If you are ever in Barcelona, make sure to check it out for daily shows of comedy and performance art in English. Farewell for now.